Phil's still. But Dayton is here. How's it going? What's happening? I'm waiting on my co-host still. I have not heard from him yet. That's fine. Uh, but what is going on? Um, Monday stuff. It's my my last day off of my three day weekend, so I go back oh. to work tomorrow. Bummer. Maybe depending on what you do. I'm a tobacconist at a cigar shop. Oh, so, so you probably enjoy that. It's not bad. It uh, yeah, Brandon, he's late again. <laughs> he was late on another show last night, and so now we all give him a hard time. Uh, yeah, I mean it's not bad. It's uh. I don't know. I'm kind of. I, I, I'm. I'm sort of ready to get back into the the swing of things. I went up to the Atlanta Repticon this weekend. Hung out with Casey Cannon. Uh, saw Jeremy from Nerd. He was there. And uh, it's a good time. Yeah, sounds like fun. I think everybody's ready to get back to some semblance of like more normal. He lives. So I wasn't going to be late. I was literally going to be perfectly on time. But <laughs> the stupid stream yard, it won't let me. I didn't restart the computer. So it's telling me your microphone doesn't work. Your camera doesn't work. Blah, blah, blah. Uh-oh. Yeah. But I'm here. What's up, Dayton? How's it going? Yes, this is this is Phil Wolf. The other half hey, of the Phil. show. How's it going, man? Uh, Good. And, uh, I'm. I don't know what you're smoking tonight, Phil, but I am. I finally. So when I was up in Atlanta at that show, I, I stopped by a little cigar shop, and they had these uh, Alec Bradley Magic Toast, which I've been wanting to try. Oh wow! Look at that. For a while now, this is the six by sixty. I think maybe it's a fifty-four. I'm not sure. So you guys just like uh, you're cool, like smoking cigars in your house and stuff. I'm in my garage. I'm out. Oh, okay. Right. Speaking of which, I need to vent mine real quick before I freaking hotbox everything. <laughs> well, tonight I'm actually smoking my arguably go go to all time favorite Liga Privada number nine. However, whoop, where is it? There it is. However, uh, this size is weird, and I almost thought that it might be fake. Um, it's like a weird bellicoso, but it. It's got like a Toro length. I don't know. Maybe I'm just losing my mind. But uh, it started to plume out a little bit in, in the one humidor it was in. And I was like, you know, let me just smoke it now before it gets funky. So. Yeah, I'm way over my head. I, I don't really do cigars, um, just occasionally. But, uh, yeah, I don't really know anything about it. I got you. So uh, since I'm always late to everything – um <laughs> hello everyone <laughs> hello puget hello blue ridge what's up thomas dallas ryan austin hendog everybody who's in here um did justin do any kind of intro or no no well this is uh snakes and stogies episode number 60 yes i have to look over in the screen because i lose track um 
thank you for everyone who's been watching up to this point 60 episodes it's crazy and uh yeah it's just awesome to be doing this still i love it other angles a little too tight a little too tight a little tight uh so while i was up at the atlanta show i picked up that cage from black box it's an xt4 Excellent. For the tannin bar scrub, and it is awesome. I'll be doing a more in-depth review on it in the, not maybe the next issue of the magazine, but the one after that. I'm not sure yet. It depends. But I also had this come in today, newest issue. Love it. Uh, came out really good. I, I think I've really sort of nailed down as far as font size and stuff and making everything kind of work where I want it. So Good stuff, man. Good stuff. Very happy with so you, it. Very pleased. Do you guys normally have uh, like a hard copy issue or? Um, no, I mean there it was. It's completely free digitally. Um, we had enough people ask for the hard copies that that's an option. It's like a print on demand kind of thing. Oh, okay. So if people want to buy issues, they can. But otherwise, it's completely free digitally. Um, and then every issue, I order one for me to sort of keep and hold on to and. Uh, yeah, ended up giving one away over the weekend, so I got to order that copy again. But awesome, yeah. Um, do we want to do the drawing real quick for the raffle? Yeah, let's uh, okay. let's knock it out of the park here. Do we need to introduce Dayton? I feel like uh, when you when you, when you were doing your thing, I kind of gave like a half ass intro. But uh, if you want to take it away, Justin. Yeah. So if anybody is, I mean. When you think, when I think of of like Amazon Treboas and Corrales and stuff like that, Dayton is definitely one of the the names that comes to mind. Um, he's the owner. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you're the owner and operator of HDR Boreals, correct? Yeah. And you, you, we'll get in, I guess, more Corrales stuff in a second, but um, definitely curious to pick your brain on that some more. Uh, I've kept some on and off over the years, mostly just. Actually, entirely just Amazon's, um, but there's some other, like Ruschenberger Eye and some other stuff I really want to get into eventually. But we can dig I, into that in yeah. a second. I like all the Corrales, and I've kept some at one point or another. So, oh. Facebooks. Justin, are you wearing a Glock hoodie? I am. It's awesome. Where did you get that? I've had it for a long time. That's just, cool, man. All my other ones are in the washing machine. So <laughs> Dan Colgan says, evil little shits. They are, and we love them. Yeah, I don't mind because I don't really hold my animals that much. I just the like to look at them. The attitude's kind of half the fun. Like It's sort of the endearing quality of them, like that pissed off old like grandpa or uncle that hates everybody. <laughs> You know, I love when you it. kind of when you expect it, it's like eh, okay, it's kind of adorable. But and like I'm not a boa guy at all. Like I just other than you know Epicrates and stuff like that, I've never been a boa guy. But I love Amazons, man. They're they're spunky. They have character. Like they're great. Yeah, I really like um, sort of their body structure and everything, and and the variety of colors that they come in is pretty much unmatched so oh yeah it's a kaleidoscope yeah that's why they have a book called kaleidoscope tree bows. <laughs> do they really yeah oh, <laughs> now, now i feel like a moron i thought that's where you were going with that <laughs> no no I, it's just, 
wow, all right. <laughs> now I got to get that book. Great. Yeah, I've had I've had a few on and off over the years, and that was one species. There was an issue of reptiles. Um, I want to say around 2003 that that had a like a big article on Amazon's, and I remember that after reading that, I was very interested in them, and I did a ton of like reading online and whatnot. Didn't actually get one for a lot of years after, um, but there's just something about that that head and stuff and you know the colors and i mean even the garden phase is just that sort of just odd mosaic like maze of a you know pattern and stuff on the on the heads and i don't know there's something about them that was uh, yeah even like the most normal that you can get sort of uh garden variety amazon mm -hmm. is it's pretty unique looking um compared to like just the base form of other other you know snakes there's a lot more differences there and yeah. i never i never really had anything too crazy like i didn't have any of the tigers or the uh, leopards or anything like that um but i just had some nice colored ones and stuff on and off over the years and i just the last me and jake went in on a trio uh would have been two years ago and um we ended up losing those just over time. So, but after that, I was like, there was kind of like anteresia for me. I was kind of like, all right, I'm, I, I'm not going to go out of my way to get into these again. Like I said, Rushi and Murder Eye are, are definitely at the top of my list just because of, you know, especially the really high black ones. They're, uh, they're almost like the, the Corrales equivalent of, uh, the Jansen Eye. Yeah. The black tail rat snake. Yeah. Yeah. They look, similar in coloration and i've got a yeah. pair of those and i love them so it's kind of a natural, natural yeah thing. you do the russian burger are neat they have they have really big scales um compared mm -hmm. to the other corrales basically um so it looks it looks interesting when you see them yeah, so what was your uh like what got you into Corrales, because I mean that's that's mostly your focus, right? Like you don't. Yeah, pretty Is much Amazon. Um, I've kept Northern Emeralds. Um, I've had a Basin. I've had a pair of Russian Burger Eye. I haven't had any Annulatus yet, um, but I am looking to sort of diversify out into the other members of the genus again. Make a make a push to do that. Um, but I kind of stumbled across Amazon's, um, in my, in my search to pick up a species to work with. And, um, I was aware of Northern Emerald tree boas and I kind of held them as like the pinnacle of, uh, reptile keeping basic or snake keeping, you know, and, uh, at the at the time, you know, and, and they still can be kind of tricky, but at the time, you know, they were really hard to keep in captivity and that kind of scared me away. Mm -hmm. Um, a lot of the issues with that. And I happened to stumble across the Amazon tree boas. They're in the same genus. Uh, you know, they have some similar physical features and, uh, yeah, they come in a lot, a lot of different colors. So. Yeah, it's literally like if there's, if there's a, I mean, minus blues, you know, if there's a color you want, they pretty much come in it. And then you, I've, you don't see too many. Like I've seen a handful of gardens that were like that sort of just odd, 
not necessarily like a mint green, but like a, I wouldn't even call it an olive either, but the gray kind of like, I've, I've, let me see. There's, there's a picture on Google. I always think of when I think of those. And I mean, it could be completely Photoshopped. I don't Maybe not. I don't know. Maybe it's in one of the books I have, but it was just every time I... I've never really seen many others like it, but it's literally like a, a freaking mint. Yeah. It wasn't a cross or anything. Yeah. I did recently pick up one of those, uh, Amazon emerald hybrid um that's kind of interesting but uh yeah those like what's the i've heard that those don't reproduce very well is there like a anything behind that um i don't have any personal experience with it it's like my first one um but you know some of the other uh keepers that, that have kept corrales for a while and, and used to keep corrales back in the day um there there was a few more of them um, there were some captive breedings that produced them. And uh, from what I've heard, they they weren't very healthy. They had, you know, health issues, hard mm-hmm. to get established, stuff like that. Didn't didn't live very long. Um, and, and and I'm not sure if they're capable of reproducing. It, it seems like that that's no on that. Like they, they seem to be infertile. Um, so I don't really have any breeding plans for it it's it's just my pet snake um and i want to i want to you know uh observe its behavior and see how it goes through its color change and everything like that so mm-hmm. yeah that's a hybrid right there yeah they're cool looking yeah really uh like like some of the other sort of oddball hybrids of you know like the balls and um Bad eaters, like you can kind of see both both ends of that pretty pretty clearly. Like it's it's a nice combination of the two. I've I've barely had mine, and I'm even like noticing sort of like behavioral things where uh, I was like, oh, that's sort of like uh, it, it's got a little bit of both in certain behaviors, and um, like its preference for the way it perches, it's not really liking the mesh that I'd normally use for my Amazons. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it likes to it likes to perch more on like uh, you know parallel branches and on its water bowl and stuff like that more like an emerald. Those yeah. colors are just amazing. Yeah, our uh, our buddy Billy does carpondros and he talks about how given the amount of percentage of of chondro to carpet dictates sort of how it behaves like the ones that have more carpet in them tend to act more like carpets and the ones that have more chondro in them tend to act more like chondros so i wonder if that'd be the similar case with those seems like it so far (laughs) so what do you guys keep Uh, everything (laughs) yeah yeah um Morelia and Colubrids, uh, North American stuff, uh, Venomous, uh, all, everything. 
<laughs> Except for bows. I don't I don't have any bows right now. Really? Mm-hmm. Man. He's in Florida. They they get to do whatever they want as long as they take the time to get the hours in. Yeah. Dame, where are you out of? Uh Portland, Oregon. Oh, okay. Yeah. Cool, man. Yeah, you I West got, Coast uh, guys are awesome. Got so much different variety than us East Coast guys. There there definitely seems to be sort of like a a, a split. It's like yeah. people that uh go to um like the big shows on the east coast like they sort of like congregate together even online and uh, and, like they do business with each other and stuff like that um yeah i don't know there's some sort of separation yeah i I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing um but it's definitely unique seeing the different the different collections and like the way that people have their stuff is it really is east coast west coast it's pretty cool you know, now we have social media, so we all get to jive together, you know? Yeah. It's awesome. East Coast, yeah. West Coast rap. You know it. So, yeah, Justin, so what, what do you keep? Phil's got a little bit of everything. I got uh, mostly, it's sort of like 50% Condros, like 70% Baird's Rat Snakes, and then... There's some, there's some Brettles pythons, the Jansen eyes, some Boiga. Long story short, random scrub. Long story short, we we just keep what we like, you know. Hodgepodge, hodgepodge everything. Do you have issues with that? And like your, the way you set the the way you keep them, is is it hard to keep such a diverse collection? Does it make it more difficult on you? No, but I think that Justin and I also have species that are not that picky when it comes to environmental conditions mm-hmm. you know i would say that um, uh, although we do have <clears throat> excuse me although we do have everything from vastly different regions <laughs> yeah it was a little oh, off I guess. A little, a little off. estimation uh, it's a shot in the dark um although we do have stuff from different completely different ecosystems <clears throat> excuse me the temperature is still pretty the same the humidity is relatively the same the care is relatively the same so i think we I don't know if we do that on purpose or subconsciously. I, I don't know. I mean, there's definitely stuff that requires a little bit more attention to detail than others, like the brettles, yeah. which we've said a million times. That's like the most unkillable snake probably on Bulletproof. the planet. Totally. Um, you know, the Baird's rats are kind of the same way. It's like they're going to be fine kind of regardless of what you set them at. And then the Boiga and the Jansen eye, you know, those need a little more fine tuned sort of attention. And <clears throat> I like to balance out sort of the headache inducing species with the leisure enjoyment, <laughs> like let the stress levels sort of equal each other out. Mm-hmm. Uh, nice. Yeah. Cox said that's, it's coming from a guy who had to stuff his lizards in a wine cooler. <laughs> that's true. That is very true. Thank you, Ryan. I love Speaking you. Speaking of, I finished that episode of Lizard Brain Radio today. Yeah. And it was very good. I enjoyed it. Well, thank you very much. I felt so <clears> – <throat> I guess I'm losing my voice tonight, guys. Sorry. Um, I felt so bad that I was late. I really, like, I really did. And, and Did you watch the first, like, ten minutes? Well, I didn't or watch it, but I, I listened to funny. it this morning on my way to work. And uh, – <laughs> He held his own, man. The guy's great. I love Bill. He's an awesome guy, man. And like, of course, we you know we bullshit after the show, and 
it's I didn't I never realized how much lizard stuff I've done. And I like after the show, I was like going through the Rolodex in my mind of like, man, I kept a shitload of lizards that I didn't even talk about. And like I feel like I feel like there's so much more that I forgot. Like I used to have black throats. I used to have doom roll monitors. Like I had a whole monitor kick that I was on, and then I had black throats. I got one guy out in my parents' house. We couldn't find him, and he was in a box of board games and like all these crazy <laughs> stories I'm thinking about. And it, it's awesome. I couldn't stay awake. I tried to, dude. I was so exhausted from from Atlanta and stuff. That oh yeah, you you like I I was almost in tears laying in bed though when you were saying how you wanted an axolotl as a kid because i was like that's just oh my the god anti-phil thing i've ever heard i in my did life. i really did and i remember too is that uh get this before i moved to florida my mom finally i i forgot to add this in the story my mom finally agreed to let me get an axolotl and we went to the pet shop and they had been banned in new jersey and the per- the pet shop that got the axolotls wherever they bought them from they had to send them back uh, and I, I was so bummed. Devastated. Meanwhile, now, you know, my roommate, Peter, uh, he went on an axolotl kick for a while. And, dude, it was so cool because we share our, our snake room. And uh, half the room was tanks with actual, like, uh, saltwater chillers and stuff and piping and hoses. And it was crazy. And then he realized that it was way more than he wanted to do. And he got out of it, too. <laughs> so... I mean, they're cool. I like. I don't. I don't really understand sort of what the hype is about. But I also have done next to no looking into them as far as what they're all about. And yeah. I know you have to keep them cold. Like that's about it. Like the water needs yeah. to be cooler temperatures. So yeah. And I mean, and dude, I was like six years old, seven years old. What the hell did I know? You know. Yeah. So. I had a red-eyed tree frog as as a kid, and I kept it in a small like. One of those two and a half gallon aquariums, I think. Might have even been a one gallon. It was tiny. And I put a heat lamp on top. Ooh. Open open screen top. Like I freaking not this wasn't this was extra crispy, not original recipe. Like, dude, that thing was freaking crunchy. Sizzled. I That was the first and last red red eyed I've ever had. And uh, Austin, thanks for the uh, thanks for the compliment, Austin. He he said he liked the humid hides from the uh, Instagram video. The uh, I missed that man. I didn't catch that. It's on. It's on the. I, it's on I the page. I caught the last. I caught the last. Oh, is it like an IGTV video? Yes, yeah, IGTV. Okay, I caught the yeah. last like thirty seconds when you were like, "Thanks for tuning in." Bye. I was like, yeah, sure. <laughs> "Well, all right." So I, I messed up. Right, I got a new iPhone, and the new iPhones don't have headphone jacks or microphone jacks. So I wound up getting uh, the lapel mic that plugs into the lightning jack. So I'm all excited about this friggin' microphone, right? And it sounds so good. It sounds so crisp and clear. And I set the phone up on the gimbal because I'm like, all right, Cobras, spitting Cobras. I need to like, you know, be on my game. I don't want to be having to hold the phone or hold the gimbal. So I set the thing up. But the cord, there's not enough space. And it's touching the gimbal. And the gimbal's like... And like it's like freaking out. I'm like, oh no! So I had to unplug it. So I thought to myself, I'm like, all right, if I turn the camera up, if I turn the phone upside down, then the cord will come out the top, and I'll have plenty of clearance. So the first video I did, it was upside down, and like Dominique was there, and Andy Milton's like, dude, you're upside down. <laughs> so I deleted that video, and I was like, let's try it again. <laughs> but it's cool, man. I like it. 
Yeah, I'm I'm excited for the the channel and the the venomous etiquette stuff. And I know I'm uh, I gotta get my ass in gear, man. I gotta I gotta throw something out there because I feel like people are chomping at the bit, which is keep, super flattering. You're overhyping it, man. I know that's the pumped. problem. That's the problem. That's the problem. So if anybody has listened to me talk about Amazons in the past, then you know that they are my pick for the worst musk ever. <laughs> no so way. Randy said, Justin wants to know how you put up with the Amazon Musk, Dayton. Uh, I, uh, this is horrible. It's, it smells like burnt rubber and burnt hair. It is pretty bad, but it's it's kind of like all I know, you know? Uh, so I don't really have a whole lot to compare it to. <laughs> uh yeah, I I try to avoid it, you know, as much as I can. Um, but it it kind of it kind of it happens, especially when you you have to sect a bunch of you know neonates and mm-hmm. stuff like that. But uh, I mean, the adult stuff is definitely worse than the than the young ones. Um, but I don't have to handle them as much, so that's uh, that happens I, less less often. Cox asks if they're really that bad. I think they are. Like I literally. I I have yet to find a musk that makes me go, oh my god. I've heard that the um, the uh, what are they? The Caribbean boas, they're pretty bad. I, I heard that their musk is pretty bad, and and they kind of just smear it around and stuff, mm-hmm. willy nilly. So I like the the Dominican red mountain boas and the Jamaican boas and stuff like that. But uh, I don't have any personal experience with that. I mean, I've kept a, I've kept a lot of stuff, but Amazon's just every time I smell it, I'm like, God damn, it's just so bad. <laughs> and I, it's maybe it's because I don't know, like one of the, I think the male in the trio that me and Jake went in on together, he was especially bad about it. Like if you touched him at all, it was like you were getting it. Anytime I had to clean it, clean tubs or anything, it was, it was expected. Yeah, it sucks when you just like got a freshly clean tub and then you gotta kinda fiddle with the snake a little bit to get it back in the yeah. in the cage and then it musks and you're like, like yeah. Cling into the edge Damn. and yeah. 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 So uh so no Randy says it. Randy says that to be honest, he feels the wild caught Amazon musk smells worse. It could be the crypto. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and I'm assuming it's Jeff. Jeff says that Lyasis musk is wonderful and the ladies love it. I'm gonna have to uh, I'm gonna have to piss off the water pythons later and you know put a little behind the behind the collarbone you know six percent of the time it works every time yeah <laughs> that's it wow so their musk is bad but I think in terms of like projectile like urates and stuff that scrub that I got from you is if I touch him like literally if I touch him if I touch his tail or anything it's like a cannon dude. Oh, I moved him into what that cage this do? morning. I didn't do anything. I moved him out of that cage this morning. He decided to go into one of my racks and then into like the bottom of one of my little dresser drawer things that I store a bunch of junk in. And then as I was trying to get him out, as he was coming out the other side, I saw him like shoot urates like all over the carpet. And it's, which type of scrub do you have? It's a tannin bar. Oh, okay. Bro. I heard those. I heard those are nasty. They are. I had that snake for what eight nine months, easy. 
and he was totally fine. He never must. He never struck. You know, he gave me the cockeyed look every once in a while, but that's I, I told you, I used to let him, he would wrap around my bicep, I'd clean the cage, i put him back. Like, it was cool. And then I give him to you, and now he's, he, you know what it is? He misses me. That's what it is. Oh, totally. He totally does. I think He's it freaking maniac, makes man. sometimes the way they react depends on the way you interact with them. Cause I've got a buddy who can like, he can free handle any snake without, he'll just like reach in and grab it and pull it out and it's fine. And then like the minute you try to do that, it's, it's latched onto you and, and chomping down. I mean, I can I, I can work around him for the most part, but if he's out and about and doing stuff, he either bolts or he just sits there and just continues to throw jabs. And I read an article too that was like tannin bars; these are the the most calm of all the scrubs, and they're so easy to work with. Whatever. And then I get this one, and and it's like holy crap! If he's not bolting like one of the Ganyasoma are, he's just gonna sit there and not let me get near him. To get him back into whatever you know, whatever he's in, it's just like it's a freaking skirmish every time. It's like makes the the Jansen I look easy to move. Remember, man, when you go in there, you just got to be like Bruce Lee. You just got to be liquid, water, smooth, cool, very relaxed. You know, give him the treadmill, and all will be well. Heat seeking missiles, dude. That ain't happening. Yeah, he is a bit of a heat-seeking missile, but he never did that with me. They're freaking accurate too. Like their their range, I under I remember the first when I had him in quarantine. Still, he somehow I was cleaning or something. He got out and he was in the closet and he was all up in the coat hangers and my wife's clothes. She doesn't know that, so but, <laughs> like I remember trying to get him out of that and he just like I had a shorter hook. I usually tend to use shorter hooks just out of personal preference. And I I had him and he struck and he came. I don't know. He's probably five or so inches from nailing me in the chest and you just you underestimate how far they can reach because they throw like half their freaking body you know it's like good god good thing about amazons is they're yeah. very they're very clumsy super slow and inaccurate like the most narcoleptic <laughs> strikers where they're like half asleep and they're like they're just the wimpy exhausted kid that's like man just leave me alone yeah, you know, yeah. I'm, just like, I'm just gonna throw to Yeah, you kind of have to be not paying attention or, or really trying to get bit. Um, it it well, doesn't happen too often. Does a uh, does the scrub sleep underwater at all or no? No, dude, I, I don't know why he did that with me. It wasn't it wasn't the I mites. Do. Don't say that. Don't say that. It wasn't the mites. <laughs> but no, man, he would sleep underwater. It was crazy. He doesn't do that. I've never seen him in his water. He was in his water bowl for like one day when I first brought him home. Never seen him in his water bowl since. How big is his water bowl? The same size, if not bigger, than what you had. Okay. He was dying from blood loss, Cox said. Jesus, Cox. Uh, just send it to Andy. I was going to say, Andy just said send it to him. Andy can, I'll I'll gladly trade that scrub for one of those Oped Out Converters. Read it it to a uh, class Class to list and and be done with it. Totally pass it off as like pure. It's class to Lepis all the way. No, man. Dude, that would be be an awesome hybrid. That would be an awesome hybrid. It would be pretty interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Tannenbar pattern. Mites, Phil. Malukan, you know. Coloration. Yeah, I hate you all. 
I would. I mean, I would like to breed them. I just need to find a female because apparently having a patterned and exanthic tannin bar out of like the three phases, that's the hardest to come across. Like they're either patternless exanthics or they're regular patternless or they're regular patterned. And then there's the you're you're, you're welcome. You're welcome. So I don't know. <clears throat> Oh, Dan just said he lit a Milanio to make room for the win because apparently he's pretty confident that he's winning this raffle. Oh, we got to do that still, don't we? We do. So I will. Let's kick the tires and light the fires. Let's do it real quick. So this is the random number generator. Just so everyone sees, I'm putting in 25. We ready? And do it. 16. That is my pops. Your actual dad? Yeah. Papa Smith? I love it. Yep. All right. Congratulations, Papa Smith. Is he watching? Look at that. I don't know. Okay. That makes it easy. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's another $20 that I don't have to put towards shipping. That goes to the Highlands and Islands Conservatory. So Awesome. And then, actually, if he doesn't want the decals or the ashtray, I can do another one, and we'll see. If someone wants the ashtray, we can do a second raffle. Because I don't. he doesn't smoke in his truck, so I don't think that's going to... All right, well, why don't you do this? Is he still awake? Call him right now. No, I'll just draw another one if he doesn't. Okay. I would say we should get him on here, you know? Get him Good on luck. Here. So we all saw it. Sorry, Dan. Next time, Dan. He said shady. My dad <laughs> my dad paid for two tickets just like everyone else. Just saw me put it in the random generator. Yep. I put out the Milano in Little Newport. <laughs> got me on that one. Oh jesus uh so let me see let me look at paypal and see how much we have raised for highlands and islands conservatory doing really good stuff with guatemalan palm pit vipers uh jamaican boas i believe and uh like lepidus and clobber eye uh rock rattlesnakes and stuff so cool we raised two hundred ninety-eight dollars and change. Wow! And Warwick is here. Hey, look at that guy! Welcome to the party, pal. Do you? Do you? you you're both Amazon guys. Do you? You know Dayton? I follow Dayton. I've never oh, met okay. him before. Hi, Dayton. My name's Austin. Look at that. Hey, how's it going? I wouldn't call myself an Amazon guy either. I just got into him last year. I'm just like dipping He's my dabbling. toes in. Dabbling, yeah. Austin, the beard yeah. is looking triumphant, my friend. <laughs> yeah, I've got kind of a mask line going on. I had to wear a mask. I had to go to the doctor today. So You got to get one of them beard, you know, covers. That they sell I usually your- wear a bandana, but I figured since I was going to the doctor, I should wear like a legit mask because I don't yeah. want the vid. Yeah. In any form. In any form. Oof. All right. 
I just texted my dad a little bit. He won. Now, Justin, is that the most that we've raised for a conservation group? That is currently. So that is the that is the record at the moment. I'm about to send it to Justin right now. Awesome. Awesome possum. Austin, what are you smoking, man? The uh, Alec Bradley uh, Magic Toast. Hey. I, I had just pulled it out of the package and snipped the end when Justin said that's what he was smoking. Well, I've got it for me for my birthday, so... Nice. When was your birthday? The 30th of December. Oh, happy belated. Thank you, thank you. <clears throat> Let's see... So whatever this Liga is, it's burning really funny. Like it wants to canoe on me, but I'm not letting it. You know what I mean? What do you mean you don't know what it is? Mm -mm. You were uh, you were off camera when I was explaining. So I was I don't remember where I was, but I saw a number nine, and it was a weird shape. It was like a it was like a bellicoso, but it had like a toro length to it. So I grabbed it and. Uh, I just noticed it was getting a little plume on it, so I was like, you know, let me smoke this now. I really have no idea what it is. It had like the the almost like a like a very mild torpedo. Um, no, it was still rounded, but it was like it was like long and it was longer than a normal Bellicoso, but it wasn't as thick a gauge as a Toro. It's not the Corona. I mean, it may be. I don't know. I don't think I've ever gotten. What was? I don't remember. It was many moons ago. Long enough I for really, it to get some plume. I really dug those that uh, that warped Grand Reserve, nineteen eighty eight. Man, I I'd buy a box of those damn things. I wish we could get the Cortos back in because those Cortos are like the best cigar that they make. They're just they're they're small, but damn it, man, those things are delicious. I was gonna smoke that tonight too. It's <laughs> good shit. Really good. I uh, I guess from the little research I did, it it's like. Uh, comes from the Jalapa region of Nicaragua. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, Jalapa. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's probably the proper way of saying it, right? Jalapa. <laughs> Jalapa. We're from, Jalapa. Jalapa. We're from Texas. We have them jalapenos, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But, uh, uh, the, uh, I had a Monte Cristo Espada, and it's yeah, from the same those region. Are, those are really Dude, good, that, too. That was legit. I like that a lot. Yeah, it's a great smoke. Great smoke. Uh, mm, what size is Spada? Oh, shit. Uh, let me go grab my... I've got my little uh, cigar dossier, I'll tell you. Let me let me go get it. Yeah, man. <clears throat> oh, I forgot he got that dossier. How long have you guys been uh, smoking cigars? Oof. 20 years now? <laughs> it seems like you guys have like a pretty good like base knowledge of like well you know, I, I, that kind of stuff. I'm definitely the amateur I would say I'm just a complete novice I'm a complete novice I just started like <laughs> dictating what I smoke so that I can learn that's pretty much it uh, Austin did you want to get a cigar scanner or no no I just I went and got I got. I need to. I, I should get that. But I've been kind of digging the whole writing it down, like mm -hmm. old school version, you know. Yeah. Um, so it was a six by fifty torpedo. Yeah, it was a six by fifty. 
That's a great smoke. Great smoke. <clears throat> I I went into a cigar shop the other day to get a couple of cigars. This was probably before I even joined the Snakes and Stogies group or whatever. And uh, it was just for like the holidays or something. And it's like my first time being in, in like a legit like tobacco shop. Yeah. And uh, mm-hmm. and he, I just like, I, I didn't know, I don't know anything about it. So I was like, hey, can you like tell me, can you like pick a couple out for me? Yeah, you know, steer like, me in the right direction. Yeah, yeah, steer me in the right direction. Like, uh, you know, I've got uh, dinner plans. We're thinking about having a steak and some wine and stuff like that. You know, can you Ooh, pick yeah. something out for me? Yeah. And so like he showed me around and he's like, you know, talking to me about some of these things. And, and then he's like, are you thinking about getting in the hobby? And I was like, the hobby, <laughs> but like, I can, I, I, I can see now like how far it can go. You know, it's, yeah. it's freakishly similar to wine. Yeah. I'm yeah. Like, very similar to wine, just in terms of like the different territories, awesome. you know, different regions it's grown, different kinds of, you know, tobacco, what part of the planet's coming from. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's, it's so there's, there's way more to it than people realize. Um, but I mean, even then, I mean, I've only been in cigars for like, I just only started smoking. It's probably only been like six or seven years. Uh, but I mean, it's, it's, it's cool. It's definitely like, I'm at a point now where it's almost like Pavlov's dog where like I eat a, a big meal and it's like, I'm already like <laughs> looking for my cutter and my lighter. It's like, I got to have something, especially after something like that, something, you know, dark and heavy. Uh, like an LFD double a hero or something. It's like I just you want something that's just gonna like punch you in the face. So I just that's, did a, that's a long smoke right there. <clears throat> I uh, I just did the math. It's seventeen years. That long avocado. So for anybody who wants to know, the January uh, sampler is gonna be dropping on the fifteenth. So I will only have twenty of those. So just letting everybody know, fifteenth when they're coming out. I figured I'd space it out with everything else. Try and yeah, you know, not pile all the, the raffle stuff on everything. So. I uh, I missed December, so count me in for one of them. Uh, Austin, so in the dossier, those those bands were those yours that you adhered in there? Yeah, or- I just took a piece of packing tape after I got done smoking it and just stuck them on there i was gonna glue and i was like what if it gets all like sticky and the pages stick together so i was like yeah. oh, she's packing tape so or better yet i've seen ones where you know they give you uh, uh an adhesive and then over the years because it's on paper and you turn the pages it cracks and then the, the bands fall off and you lose them and yeah yeah i figured the packing tape would hold up so i mean yeah. it looks kind of janky i guess but i don't know it keeps water off of it and the pages don't stick together so yeah man i love it looks good yeah, I get that a lot at work. It's people come in, they're like, I had this cigar the other day, and they're like, I wish I'd kept the band, and they're trying to like describe it to me. They're like, it was dark, it was short. It was, was tobacco. Like, yeah, it was tobacco. I lit it on yeah. fire. Yeah. And they're like, do you know what that, I'm like, what color was the band? Like red, which, I mean, every freaking cigar band in the industry has red on it to some degree, so that doesn't narrow it down. It, was just... uh, it, had, a little, it had a little sticker on the back with a barcode on it. Yeah. <laughs> it was made in the Americas. Right. Oh. <clears throat> but 
How many how many Amazons do you have now, Austin? Four. Uh, oh. One wild caught red phase male with an orange head, and then uh, uh, one um, sexed female. Uh, she's gonna end up being a bicolor. I bought her as patternless, but she's gonna end up being a bicolor. She's got a decent amount of freckling on her back. And then uh, I've got, I picked up one from, uh, uh, oh, damn it, why am I? S&J Reptiles, Ian, Bus- Ian Bissell. Uh, oh, Ian. It's, yep. uh, it was a patternless from uh, a citrus line, and it's uh, it's going to be a bicolor, but it's really, like, very minimal freckling and uh, some really screaming oranges, like mango-colored oranges. And then I got a uh, male orange tiger phase uh from uh nick mudden i forget nick even does those most people do he does so much other stuff though it's hard to yeah. feel, like i feel like there's a whole bunch of stuff we don't even like know about that he has yeah he, he's definitely he keeps it quiet yeah, <laughs> yeah. you have to kind of know yeah you kind of have to know How many do you have? Like, what's your collection looking like, Dayton? As far as numbers and, uh, I think last time I counted, uh, seventy something. Ooh, good God! Yeah. Straight Amazons uh, or? I, 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 uh, I think that was my total total snakes, but I, I don't have a whole lot of other stuff. I, I do keep some, uh, like boa constrictor. Um, I don't even know if I actually have any. Um, I don't have any constrictor constrictor, but I, I've got uh, uh, Imperator and, and uh, what's the other one? Sigma. Oh, I'd cool. like to get some Longicata. That's what, that's on my list. For we me. all want Longicata. Yeah, I like those. Yeah. <laughs> I've got some Hog Islands. Uh, I've got some Costa Rican from Warren Booth. Uh, and then I've got some Sonoran boas that have the leopard gene. Cool. Yeah. yeah, the only other bow besides I, my uh, Amazons are my. I've got a pair of Doom rolls. That's it. Everything else is Pythons. Some Bluebird sprinkled in there. I went through a, a pretty hardcore phase in Nicaraguan boas. I don't know what it was about Nicaraguans in particular that that just. I don't, it's like that odd, like that this burgundy red on the tail that just reminded me to me of like old globes and like leather bound books. <laughs> It was like I don't know when I'd look at it if I felt like I was at like a Pier One Imports or something, <laughs> and it just like I that just it always stuck with me. But they're, uh, I can see that man completely. Yeah, and they, like, they color the color change like when they they'd be darker they they'd be lighter and stuff. The, I mean that was really I don't think people realize how much they will change color wise, um, just in terms of firing up and firing down. Uh, but Matt Most says or asks, do your Amazon spend more time on the ground or perched? Uh, I would say they spend the majority of the time perched, but there are some in particular that will spend a good deal of time on the ground. Sort of like 50-50, probably, mm-hmm. probably 60-40, something like that, you know. <clears throat> so it's, it's not uncommon. Yeah, I definitely noticed they... Instead of like, you know, chondros or or emeralds, you know, where they're fine with just like one sort of perch, they like multiple points. Like that that netting and that mesh, that garden stuff that people use for neonates and stuff, especially and things like that, they seem to definitely prefer almost like a 
not necessarily a shelf, but like just a options where they're they're being touched by multiple like spots like on the drape. Yeah. yeah, like draping kind of. That's what mine do mainly. Yeah, uh, I use a lot of like natural perches um, for my older my older animals, grapevine uh, sticks I've cut, cork mm-hmm. bark stuff like that. Do you guys probably like that... those cork bark rounds on the on the perches, like to squeeze up into them? That's what I've yep. heard a lot of people use. I haven't. Mine aren't big enough to do that yet, but uh, right now I'm just using um, the uh, like paper towel tubes and for my younger ones. My big adult male is in a bioactive enclosure, but uh, my younger three are in like 16 quart tubs with those 3D printed uh, carpet perches that fit right in there, and then those paper towel tubes that I was going to mess around with that cork bark on a perch. I thought that looked pretty cool. It seems like they like it a lot from what I've seen. Yeah, they'll definitely get in there and get under it or in it or, you know, tuck themselves in. Do do you guys find that they do more perching low to the ground? Like they're, they're, they're still low in the enclosure, but they're, they're off the ground or they more higher up more like legitimately arboreal when they are up there. Uh, when they're up, I would say they're up, uh, I guess it kind of depends on the options that you give them, but I would say for the majority of the time, they're up in like a back corner. Just okay. out of the way. Yeah. That's the, my big male gets up into the back corner by the heat panel and then he gets up into his arboreal hide. He's almost all like completely arboreal. I don't ever see him on the ground, but my, the juveniles that I have, they, they get in their tube on the ground and they utilize the ground quite a bit. So. Do you notice cool. the difference in terms of that preference with captive bred versus wild caught? animals um i haven't had a whole lot of wild caught animals i've had a couple of them um like over my span of keeping them mm-hmm. uh but i haven't really noticed much of a difference no okay. now my my thoughts on on like wild caught amazons has kind of changed lately like i like they're not impossible to way. get established to get going you know like they're not necessarily difficult but i do think you're making your life a good bit easier you know just like with chondros like you're making your life way easier if you're just going ahead and starting with captive bread yeah i yeah i would i would say 100 percent. and there's really unless it's like a one-of-a-kind animal you know we we have all the phenotypes and everything like that available in like a captive population and the majority of the time uh you know it's going to be better quality anyway you might even have some idea of how its color change will develop as it, mm-hmm. as it matures because of the parents and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, 100% captive born if you can, uh, un- unless it's like a, a really unique animal. Like, and, yeah, and, like can't pass it up kind of one in a million. And even then you, you wouldn't, I, I wouldn't want someone to snag that animal. that's like, Oh, Hey, I'm thinking about getting into Amazon tree bows. Let me, mm-hmm. yeah. let me get this, uh, you know, wild caught animal. Yeah. I think it also goes down to like fresh import boiga too, because it's eliminating the stress factor, you know, letting them chill out in the beginning and, and let them relax and get their, get their bearings and then start working with them because so many people are like, Oh, I just smack in the face with food, you know, and it'll, it'll bite yeah. it. So I think that has a lot well, I to think, do with it too. Yeah. You see that with, with Horchilanus, you see that with Ganyasoma, you see that with Boiga, like they're all all the, the the one sort of common denominator with those is that they're all fairly high strung animals to begin with. Yeah, you know, they yep. doesn't take much to get them going. Doesn't take much to get them stressed out. 
And so I would agree that it is one of those things where it's like get them in, ignore them for two weeks after you have them set up and ready to go and everything. And then, you know, maybe offer food might like think about offering food at that point. Yeah. Mine, my first one that I purchased was that red face male, uh, this wild caught and, uh, definitely not the move. <laughs> I mean, I had a little experience establishing wild caught stuff, but, um, they are like, like you said, so high strung that like, if you go in there and offer food too early, they're so defensive that they get freaked out and mm-hmm. then they're just running and you're not getting, there's nothing positive coming from that at all. You're not, yeah, right. then they just had a negative experience. And the next time you go try to feed them, it's going to be that much more difficult. So. Yeah. And yeah I, we, that's, that's how it is with condros, you know, same thing. Like people always end up buying the imported Bioc from a show or something. And it's like if you've kept condors and you've dealt with that kind of stuff before to where it's, you know, you're not going to mess, you know what to do to get it on the up and up, like it's no big deal. But if it's like your first condro, you're almost guaranteed to have have a lot of headaches, you know. Possible tragedy. Yeah, yeah. likely tragedy. Okay. Have you guys I, ever I've done that? a lot of condros. <laughs> I mean, we've all done that in some degree or another, but I was going to say, so have you guys ever done... The, uh, covering the cage with a, a sheet or newspaper and just covering yeah. up and <clears throat> excuse me, we've always done that with a lot of the import stuff. And then when it's feeding time, you know, you just kind of peel the curtain back, throw in some some prey item and close it and just leave it be. You know, like you were never there. Yeah, like I was never there. Yeah. My I, first I, apador was real defensive and did a lot of smashing on the glass and stuff. And I had to just pretty much tape the whole front of the enclosure with newspaper until it kind of got acclimated. It stopped doing it eventually, but it just was incredibly defensive. And uh, so, yeah, it does help to kind of block that visual stimula- stimulation. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, one thing I've noticed that might you might want to take into consideration when purchasing like a wild caught animal um so my experience is sort of limited with that but i I would like to kind of like expand on that a little bit but uh yeah i i've i've gotten one uh adult female wild caught amazon treba and uh she's been relatively problem free and wasn't hard to get you know situated or established um but I haven't been able to get her to reproduce for me. Um, and I, I've had males, you know, breed her. Um, and, and I think that getting an adult animal um, in even like even a captive captive bred one, the females really take a long time to adjust for breeding. Mm-hmm. At least in my experience, because I've I've even done uh, breeding loans with people where they've sent me animals, and um, you know it's taken me uh, several years before I actually produce a litter from like their females, and even that my results weren't great with like uh, fertility and everything like that. So, um, yeah, the the sooner you can buy it, the younger it is. Um, the longer you have it in your collection, the better, in my opinion. Yeah. Do you I'd think with some of those? <clears throat> do you think with some of those, like like a wild, say a wild caught female, do you think it's coming from like 
because you're coming from the southern hemisphere to the northern hemisphere and their cycles all that kind of thing or is um, it you think I, it's just strictly stress i, I i'm not I, I wouldn't say that i i don't think it's that because um because these animals the, the animals i got on loan weren't wild caught they were they were captive born they were captive bred um they were you know, a state next to me. So um, they were someone okay. from someone I knew in person, like traveling across the United States or anything like that. Um, and I, I still had issues with that. Um, receiving those adult females, getting them, getting them situated, even though they, they ate and they didn't have any health issues or anything like that. Um, I, I had, I had fertility issues. I had, you know, it, it took me a considerable amount of time to get them to even, reproduce anything for me um so okay let me ask you this i've heard similar things with with female chondros having the same problems where for whatever reason if they're older you send them you got to wait at least a year before you you know you even pair them because they just they don't don't seem to take well to the move yeah i'm sure you know there are people that have had a different story but uh you know that's my experience and it's it's not with like one or two. It's with quite a few animals um, that I've, I've had that. Let me, uh, let me ask you this. Of the animals, of the females that you did establish, and then in time they produced, did you notice an increase in fecundity at the years that progressed? Like, did were the litter sizes greater and greater as time went on, or was it consistently around the same? Um, so... Uh, these are animals I've produced, or, or you're just strictly talking about the uh, the breeding loan, or no, no, I was saying just just your animals in general that you produce. So, like you said, that the females are harder to establish, regardless if they're wild caught or not. In terms of getting them to your facility and getting the ball rolling, did you notice an increase in litter size as time went on? Like the first time you were successful with female A, she only had five offspring, and then the next time you bred her it was seven offspring and the next time it was 10 offspring, you know, or was it always around the same ballpark of, of litter size? Um, there's certain, I wouldn't say it's not uncommon for like females having their first litter to, to maybe have some lower fecundity right, than right. they do like the previous, the following couple litters. Um, I, I do notice that like, it's not, it's not like a huge difference. So if, if everything goes right and, and you're expecting a good litter and you sort of have low fertility, I would be willing to bet that that female would go on to produce a, a larger litter the next time. Okay. Um, but I, I do have plenty of females um, first time right, right out the gate, um, you know, give me nice, healthy average size or my average size litter. Um, and, and then they continue to do that for the next few litter. Cool. What's um, your like, does, average size litter? My average size litter is probably about eight. Um, and, and it, after, after I would say like three or four litters, the, the fertility seems to drop off okay. where, where you, you might have some issues there. Hmm. See, they're so common in the wild, though. I mean, you gotta wonder, like, what's what's missing, you know? Yeah, and like, you know, importers get them in while they're gravid. And, you know, they get 
grab mm-hmm. it while they're being imported and have litters. Um, so I don't know. That's just my experience. You know, it could also be selective mate, you know, choosing the bright partner. Maybe they're more choosy than other species, you know? I have noticed that as well. Um, it doesn't always work out between a male and female. And both of those animals can go on to reproduce with uh, separate animals if you just swap the pairing out. I've had animals like refuse to breed each other for several seasons and I've just been stubborn and, and like, no, this is the pair that I want. Like, yeah. I'm not going to pair them up. I'm not going to pair that female to a different male. And, uh, you know, that female just doesn't reproduce, even though that male will go on and, and breed other females and such. Yeah. Do they, uh, well, males like combat, can you put two males in with a female and uh, have them compete? And have you ever done that, like, to stimulate? Yeah. Um, so I would say it's probably better to maybe put one male in, let him crawl around the cage a little bit, maybe, like, mist it down, take him out, and then put the other male in. Uh, that, that'll, that'll still stimulate the one the the male that you want in there because mm-hmm. he, he'll smell that the male has just been in there um, and that'll sort of stimulate him. But um, if you put two males in there, uh, what can happen is, um, well, you, you the male you want to use might not be the uh, dominant male, um, in which case he'll get really freaked out. And, and even if you remove mm-hmm. the other male, he won't want to breed the female. Okay. I gotcha. Um, yeah, so he'll just he'll still be trying to get away even after you remove the other male. Okay. Um, so I prefer not to do that. They do combat. Um, I've had them, you know, uh, constrict each other. I haven't I haven't had any bites, uh, but some real wrestling and constricting. Um, That's gotta be awesome. To watch thrashing, you know, the cage furniture around. I've done it a little bit with with a. Uh... Bredles and Coastals, so, or Bredley and Coastals. So um, it is cool to watch. I was just curious. I didn't know if they were kind of like a breed ball situation or if they actually kind of compete. So, Yeah, you wouldn't, you wouldn't want to leave them in there unsupervised. Yeah, very cool. So you don't have Rushis anymore, or you still have those? No, I, I had a, a single pair, um, and I think it was uh, in 2018, uh, I tried to uh, breed them, and my female died while she was gravid. Oh, man. And so I just had the male, and I ended up uh, trading him for some stuff. Yeah, I think it's the, the Costa Ricans are the ones that I... Either that or the Venezuelans. One of them's like really high black. They're just they look freaking cool. The Costa Ricans are are the the really more common one here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the ones that are are like golden brown, and they got the black tail. You do see some like black in between the scales and stuff like that, but uh, the Venezuelan ones are are the ones that are really like boldly patterned. Okay, that's that's the ones I'm thinking of then. So some yeah, I mean some of them are like almost patternless, and those don't really do much for me. But 
like that one, I think, right there. That's yeah. a that's a Venezuelan, I think. That's sick, man. Yeah, Venezuela. So cool. There's just something about high contrast animals that do it for me, man. Well, it's yeah, the scalation too on them. It's pretty cool. Warren and and uh, Jeff Murray have the have the uh, Trinidad ones, mm-hmm. which seem to be like high color. Um, but those are one of the rarest snakes in captivity. That's pretty pretty cool how they got them and have reproduced them now. Yeah, there's Ian's picture. He, that was, I think, he only had one. Sur- he had got like two or three of them. And He's trying to get them going on like brown and knolls, wasn't he? Yeah, like well, he hatched out some. They found some eggs in their backyard, and it turns out they incubated them, and they were basilisk eggs. A basilisk, so that's what it was. Yeah, he hatched those out, and he tried them, and he had one that started eating, and this is probably it. But uh, the other ones, I don't know if they they made it or not, but. He was having a hell of a time getting those things going. Dude, they look like Puerto Bothrops. Right? Crazy. They look like Okinawas. They're just cool. And they get big, like, compared to... That's what I was about to say. Don't they get pretty large? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, those and the the Blomber guy, which a lot of people, those aren't even in the hobby at all. But those are those things are sweet. I've decided I'm gonna save all my shekels for some basins. I think that's my next that's gonna be my next big purchase. Oh yeah, rock and roll. With the way the like prices on northerns are going, it's it might be worth it to to hang on to it a little bit longer and, and get some basins. I just have always really dug basins. It's like, since I was a kid, it's like that quintessential snake on a stick to me. Yeah, super. Well, it, it doesn't super doesn't hurt that they, you know, it's it's nice that they don't try to take your face off every time you do anything with them too. Mm-hmm. I've heard they tend to be a lot more docile than the than the northerns. I've had I had a northern for a while, but uh, it went with the whole regurg syndrome. BS. Dude. I just decided I'm going to do captive born and bred basins if I decide to get back into emeralds. So. Weren't we that, just talking about that snake a couple episodes we ago? We were literally talking about this snake a couple mm-hmm. episodes ago. And that's what made me go back. I actually, when we first got on the show tonight, I went onto Dayton's page to find that. And I was like, wait a minute, how am I not following? So I just, I, I must have been fat fingered something. We were just talking about this animal because it's so freaking cool, man. That may be yeah. like that may be my favorite Amazon like ever. That's that a leopard, right? Of, uh, yeah, it's a liger. Okay. Oh, it's, oh, it's, it's a, a leopard, leopard tiger. Nice. Yeah. Um. So that's sort of like my crowning achievement so far. Um, that was super cool. Uh, I I was going in with uh, you know one visual parent and and a possible het tiger female. Um. So when I, you know, the first animal that popped out was a leopard and I was super stoked. Um, so I really kind of hit the, hit the odds on that one. Um, and yeah, I, I had five leopards in the litter 
Um, that was one of them. Yeah, I'm I'm really pumped about it. I mean, dude, just look at that. Look at that animal. It's amazing. Yeah, yeah, that's a hypo. Oh, that one. Awesome. And has that been tied into any of the leopard or tiger stuff yet? Uh, I've paired uh, a hypo to a leopard um, and got a small litter. Uh, it really did sort of affect the way the hypo gene looks. Mm-hmm. Um, up, up until that point, I had been very easily, uh, you know, I, I hadn't had any trouble picking out what was hypo and what wasn't um, until that litter. And, and then um, I got some normal animals. Uh, so I'm not really sure if, if I do have a hypo 100% het, um, but I've, I've got some of the offspring that I'm going to raise up and, and try to pair them out and, you know, make a hypo leopard or, uh, or a leucistic leopard. Um, because the leucistics do seem to be able to display some, some form of pattern. So I don't see why some of the morphs like leopard or tiger wouldn't work with that mm-hmm. as well. And I mean, are they, are they all, are all the like morphs in Amazons, are those all simple recessives? Uh, tiger's dominant, um, okay. leopard's recessive, hypo, I believe to be codom or incomplete dominant, sorry. Um, and then you've got like calico, which is recessive. Um, but, but that's, that's sort of, that's a color. I, I, I don't know that it's a mutation. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so cool. That animal's just so awesome. So awesome. Yeah, and it's these like, like something you'd see in a gift shop as like a rubber snake. It doesn't look. It doesn't even look yeah. real. Yeah. To be honest with you. Yeah. Those. Even though the like this litter was pretty high contrasty for for like what I've seen from from leopards, <clears throat> um, they're getting pretty rare. Uh, I think one other person in like Europe produced a litter of them this year, but uh, even though these are pretty high contrasty, they still um, their color changes uh, from day to night. They really lighten up at night, um, and, and they they're much darker during the daytime. But they're very metallic looking, just cool black and silver. They've got you know shiny metallic eyes. Very needy animals. Yeah, that's how I on a lot of those eco tours. You know, when they're range at night, they'll they'll find them by you know eye shine. Yeah, uh, I mean, I go into my room, you know, several times a day, and I do it at night often. But like when you go in there, if you don't turn the light on, you just shine a light around. There, there's eye shine all all mm-hmm. over the place. So that's kind of cool. That's cool. Oh, yeah, uh, I saw something recently. Uh, do you do any um, herping in in Florida? Since you're there, do you do any like oh, yeah. wild, you know field herping? As much as I can. You've got like invasive populations of everything, but I saw <laughs> that you might have like a, I don't know if it's like a reproducing population or like one offs, but people are catching Amazons in Florida. No, nah, man, it's all it's all bullcrap. As bo- okay. All right. Yeah. Yeah. It's all <laughs> no, I There's, will say um, I would not be surprised if someone was like, "Yeah, I found a, you know, a chupacabra in Florida, or a, you know, a king cobra, or whatever." Like, yeah. to be like, "Yeah, probably." I mean, it's Florida. So there is, um, there is a uh, a gated community that is part of uh, the gated community. I guess is an island itself, 
and uh, it's very hoity-toity, and it's very hard to get in. You have to know someone who lives there. And they have, I believe it's BCCs on the island. But no one can That's nuts. No one can actually confirm it because the only certain individuals have found them. And nobody knows if it's just like uh, perpetuating the, the joke of it or if they really are there, but no one's ever shown one bigger than like two foot. So who knows, you know, and at the same time, there's never roadkill, you know what I mean? And it's, it's a pretty busy community. So you'd expect more people to be hooting and hollering about it, especially non-snake people. Right. So that that's the I mean, it's I not that out of the realm of like reality. They got yeah. they guys have monkeys down there. No. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's a fact. There's a troop of monkeys that live down there. Oh there's 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 a there's a couple. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Florida's literally just one big game of Jumanji. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, there's 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 a lot of invasives that are here, but they've been here a very 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 long time. And now, because it's trending to talk about it and to show it, now it's becoming a quote-unquote issue. So, like, for example, sometime, I think, in the 1960s, uh, they let uh, pink toad tarantulas loose in the orange groves because they wanted to take care of some kind of bug that was there. And now there's orange groves that you can go to, and there's a viculara just running around rampant. See, I think that's um, cool as hell, though. But it only is. Cool. But yeah, it's I'm, I'm only. On yeah, but it's only in the orange groves. Um, it's not like in the neighboring communities, the neighboring fields. It's just in those trees. Uh, there's a, a population of Mexican red rump tarantulas in, uh, like pseudo apple orchards. I guess they were apple orchards that got abandoned because apples don't really grow too well in Florida. Um, so I know you can go find those there, but they again they only live in those orchards. Um, and again, this is all from 20, 30, 40 years ago. Uh, obviously you guys know about cane toads. Cane toads is probably the worst invasive we have, but it's at the point now, <laughs> what is he saying? He said, list all the invasive species you know off the top of your head. I mean, you really want me to? <laughs> Do it. All right. Let me light this cigar. Hold on. <laughs> yeah, I all think right. that's like, I can see where that's, that's, problematic and you know especially with things like the cane toads and stuff like that yeah. but i do on the other hand think that it's kind of cool that you could go you it, know just out is. in the field and find all these you know invasive species from all over the place yeah and it's it's no it's never as bad with the exception of i'll say with the exception of small terrestrial lizards that nobody really cares about and cane toads the other invasives, they're nowhere near as bad as people make them out to be. They are a problem. They are an issue. It is here. But the media makes it worse than it is. You know, right. the, the gossip makes it worse than it is. So um, one of the biggest things is there's only, I think, two or three native annuls to southern Florida. Uh <laughs> That's funny. He uses that mane and tail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so uh, there's only, I guess, two or three native species of a null in Florida. But they're very, very hard to find now because you've got 15 other species, maybe not 15, maybe like six or seven, but 15 other species of a null that have taken their place because 
they weren't introduced on purpose. It wasn't people's pets that they let go. It wasn't from a hurricane. It's just humans are, you know, they're, they're, they're movers and shakers, you know, we're so close to the Caribbean, you know, freight comes in, shipments yeah. come in, you know, and that's yeah. what happened with freight. Guam. Yeah, ex exactly. I'm with Guam. So, uh, you have a uh, Bahamian and I think there's a Bahamian hybrid curly tail that is rampant everywhere, but it's only on the coastline. It doesn't go inland. Um, you've got the 15 different annuls that are all invasive, including the Cuban night annul, which as an impressive lizard as it is, it's not supposed to be here. Um, you've got, uh, oh man, you've got like three or four different species of reef gecko. You've got like three or four species of house gecko. You've got tokes. Uh, there's a population of uh, giant snails. Yeah, Matt. Hundred percent. Is that why snails. those are outlawed? Yes. Like, you I can't own those anywhere. Illegal. Yeah. Yes. So apple snails are a major problem, and no one, and to the to best of my knowledge, people have an idea of how they got here, but no one knows really how they got here. Um, uh, and like, you want to talk about invasives on land? You want to talk about invasives in the water? Because there's way more invasives in the water than there is on land. Yeah. I heard the water's nuts. They, get, they, they don't mess oh. around with the shit that's in the water. You get in trouble. Yeah. You get in like big trouble. They don't. Oh, they yeah. don't play in Florida with that shit. Yeah, hundred percent. So, um, uh, you've got toke populations. You've got standing eye populations. You've got uh, uh, now I can't Basilisk. remember. The, uh, you've got green yeah. and brown basilisk. Uh, tegus are a small pocket, but they are there. Uh, Black and white Argentinian are basically Florida mutt tegus. Um, yeah, snakeheads. Snakeheads are oof, but snakeheads are actually down because of sport fishing. I was about to say they're a big deal in the sport fishing community, right? Huge like deal. I hear and, uh, people talk about them like crazy. Like it, there's like a cult following just to fish those damn things. And it's unlike any other freshwater fishing in the world because it's not fishing; it's hunting with a fishing rod. Because you have to you have to walk the canals and keep out of the shadows, you know, because you're using street lights or the moon as your guide. Uh, some guys use like red head red head lamps. Hunting werewolves? Yeah, you're you're, you're basically <laughs> you're, you're walking the canals. You gotta put thriller and, music on, and... right? <laughs> you're uh, you're walking the canals and you're walking at a fast pace because you if you miss the fish that you're hunting. You just go to the next fish, go to the next fish, go to the next fish. And basically you have a fast line, you have a fast surface lure, no weight. And basically you're going to see the fish or see its nest with its fry. And you're going to bang that hook down and run it quick. And then if you get a hit, great. If you scare them off, keep walking to the next line. So I don't snakehead fish with my roommate because I, I can't keep up. Do people eat them? Oh, yeah, man. Those, I don't awesome. really? I've heard they're pretty good. They're pretty good yeah. eating, honestly. Yeah. I mean, people fry them up like gator nuggets, you know, but uh, going back to terrestrial stuff, uh, one of the biggest, most famous ones is veiled chameleons. And there's a few places that you can find wild populations of veiled chameleons. Um, I've done it. I've found them. It's pretty freaking cool. But uh, you don't go looking for them anymore unless you know the people that live there because a individual was actually shot and killed because of oh, veiled chameleons. Yeah. Wow. Uh, the story also goes. The South people are weird about their trespassing and yeah. land and stuff. So, um, and no, uh, Ryan Cox, I have looked for knife fish and I have some friends that catch them and they get some monster game night fish, night fish. I can't find them. I've tried. Um, but just going back to the veils, uh, 
there was a particular guy out west of me who had a cricket farm and he crickets for bait. And he was also into reptiles. And he had a, a bunch of uh, velcomins he let go on his property to just eat crickets, you know, because there's just billions of crickets. Uh, and people would go there and, and he told them, listen, you can take whatever chameleons you want on the other side of my fence. If you come in my yard, then you're trespassing. Please don't do that. Respect my, you know, wishes. Um, you're going to get got. And I, and I remember there was even a bunch of kids that went, they were like high school kids and knocked on his door and was like, hey, we want some chameleons. Can we have some? And he put like handfuls of adult veils in a bucket for them and was like, here you go, Jeez, dude. That's insane. Um, and then uh, one night, um, one night some guys went there and he had spur thigh tortoises. He had adult sulcatas and uh, they stole one of his tortoises. So he posted, he posted signs, said no trespassing. You know, he talked to local law enforcement, says, listen, everybody comes to my property. I'm acting accordingly. And uh, some kid went on there to get chameleons and they shot him and killed him. Mm-hmm. <sighs> which, which is crazy too, because if you're from Florida, you know that you don't go on farmland unless you've been invited or you're going about it in the, the right direction yep. because you know, I've same in Texas, same in it's Texas, yeah. same thing. Yeah. So you like, like it, there's so much private property being that's owned. Like it's not public yeah. land. Uh-huh. Someone owns that land most likely. And, uh, you're just taking a big risk for your own safety, man. Like, yeah. honestly, I mean, as yeah. sad as that is, it's, it's awful that a kid got killed, but like, yeah, you're kind of, I don't know you're rolling those dice. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the, yeah. The, the risk you take. Yeah, and it's not like it's not like there wasn't enough chameleons on the one side to just you know grab a couple of them. It was some kid who was selling invasives to the wholesalers, and he was getting greedy and said, "It's three in the morning. No one's going to be awake. I'm just going to hop the fence." And he paid the price. Uh, but I have friends that are photographers, and they want. I had one friend who wanted to go in the orange groves. He knew about a back gate that nobody was ever there. It was like a service road. So he's like, Oh, I'll drive down the service road. I'll walk, you know, a hundred yards in, take a couple pictures at, you know, two in the afternoon, sun's out. And then I'll get back in my car and leave. Like it's not that big a deal. And he's standing there with his, with his camera, his DSLR. And all of a sudden he said like six or seven dudes on ATVs with AR 15s roll up on him. And they're like, who do you work for? Why are you here? And basically it was like Minute Maid fucking with Tropicana. I was going to say Tropicana doesn't play around. <laughs> yeah. And that's, and that's a legit thing because for those of you who don't know, like we have like the, the canker down here, the citrus canker. But like there was a thing where competitors were like afraid that saboteurs were going to yeah. poison or disease their plants. Mm. So he was like, hey, I'm, I'm – college kid taking photos of the grove you know i'm sorry they're like listen if you want to do that that's fine but you have to go to the main office you have to file you know, they have to do a background check on you and then like he went about it the right way but again imagine going out and just taking pictures of flowers on a tree you know orange blossoms and like six dudes on atvs good old boys with rifles and you're like whoa so he's probably lucky he had that camera he's honestly the yeah. camera probably de-escalated the situation a little bit yeah you yeah. know you also never really know what People are doing on their property, <laughs> so yeah, right, like, right. Yeah, you gotta you gotta be cautious. Yes. So I want people around. Of course. So Matt asks, "Are tegus a real problem?" Um, 
I will say that from my personal experience, I've never found a tag in the wild. But one of my very good friends, Rachel, um, she's a professor of biology and herpetology in Phoenix. Uh, she was doing some grad work with Florida tegus in terms of identifying uh, different genomes and, and DNA mapping and stuff like that. And uh, she partnered up with some people from FIU and they had a, a U.S. Geological Service was running the show with like frozen lizards. It was a whole big thing. But uh, she was working with a local guy in the homestead area where the tegus are and she was trapping a lot of them and they were getting them. And these are adult big tegus. But again, it's, it's still an isolated pocket. You know, you're not going to go to Fort Lauderdale beach and just see black and white lizards walking on the sand. Like it doesn't work like that. That's not how it is. Um, it's like that commercial for, uh, it was like put pictures on the wall. It's not how this is. That's not how any of this works. And, uh, <laughs> and, and she showed me like there are tegus legit. And their whole thing is that the, it's not that the tegus are merciless killers. Let's face it, you know, feral house cats do way worse than any tegu ever will. Any species ever right, short of us. Right. And there's billions, of, not maybe not billions, but there's tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of feral house cats in South Florida. But the tegus, because they're not cute and cuddly, they get the rap. Um, again, they're not supposed to be here. You know, I, I, I don't know what else to say about that. However, their thought process was, they're going to eat crocodile eggs. They're going to eat shorebird eggs. They're going to eat indigo snake eggs, which it's all they're speculation. Eat anything they can fit they're their going, mouth. Exactly. It's all speculation, you know? So is it an issue? Yeah. Is it as bad as they make it up to be? No. Um, the Burmese pythons have never truly been an issue until recently. And the question is, uh, is it because they are finally migrating and moving? Or is it because people are just more people are going out looking for them. You know what I mean? They're getting more attention. They're being thrown mm -hmm. up more exactly. than they were in the past. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So I take pride in the fact that I've never seen a python in the wild. And I go out in the glades at least once a week. You've um, also never seen right a now, coral snake. I've also, I've, not, I've never found a coral snake on my own. You're right. It's true. You live in Florida. How do you not find a coral snake, dude? Because they're fossorial. Do you guys even get them that far down? Yeah, my, my county is the uh, lowest it goes on this area, and then it jumps back up about 45 minutes south of me. Hmm. Nerd. So, nerd. But yeah, I try and do as much field herbing as I can, man. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm 30 to 40 minutes away from the glades, depending on what part of the glades I go to. So, I'm spoiled. <clears throat> How's that habitat doing? I, the, Ever, like, the Everglades itself? Yeah. So when you talk about Everglades, like a lot of South Florida people, we say glades, and we're not talking about the Everglades. So traditional Everglades is going to be Kissimmee River Delta all the way south to the Straits of Florida. And that's, a, that's millions and millions of acres. Uh the majority of that northern portion, if you break the Everglades down into sections of thirds, right? So that Kissimmee River Delta down into what we would now call the northern Everglades or even like the STAs and stuff is majority farmland and Indian reservation. Uh, and then below that is all of your stormwater treatment area. And that feeds into Florida Bay and Everglades National Park and Big Cypress National Preserve. So we say Everglades, but 
very rarely do I go into Everglades National Park. You know what I mean? It's it is technically Everglades, but it's not called Everglades. It's STA one, STA four. You know, Big Cypress stuff like that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was uh, I was part of an alligator hunt a few years ago, and we uh, we made a mistake. We were in the wrong area, um, and Fish and Wildlife didn't. We've actually got a ten foot one alligator, and it was a it was an awesome experience. I loved every minute of it. Uh, I am a hunter. I know it's kind of weird that I would kill a poor defense little reptile and eat it, but I did. Um, but we told them, hey, we got this 10-foot gator, and we took it to one of the processing facilities and Fish and Wildlife's there, and we talked to them, and they're like, where'd you get this gator? And we told them honestly, and they're like, hey, man, your license isn't for that area. It's for, you know, five miles that way. And we're like, oh, crap. Like, are we in trouble? And they're like, no, because this is the biggest alligator we've ever seen in this area in the past 10 years. So we want to, with your permission. Thanks for we killing wanna... it. Well, no, no, no. It was great because <laughs> – they wanted to take samples of blood and organs and muscle tissue and scalation for science. And one of the biggest problems is this area has massive agricultural runoff from sugarcane plantation mm-hmm. and the mercury big levels. Sugar. Oh, I love big sugar though, man. I love them. Oof, Domino, love baby. Them. I, lo- I love them. I love cruising them cane fields and finding pygmies. Ooh, doggies. So they told us later on, they're like, man, thank you for getting that gator because the mercury levels in that area from the agricultural runoff were so high that almost anything that you caught there was inedible. Uh, but this alligator oh. had barely any traces of mercury, and they checked his stomach. So you guys got it tested, or they tested it? They, they tested it, and uh, okay. they're like, "Listen, the, the, feel free to eat that meat. That meat is good because we froze it because we didn't know. You know what I mean?" Um, they're like, "Listen, mm-hmm. eat, feel free to eat that meat. That meat's tip top. It has very little." muscle mercury and then they checked the stomach contents which was like some fish and stuff and those fish they also did not have high trace of mercury so and now uh we you know when you drive across alligator alley which is the main highway that cuts across the state of florida in the south you'll see more people fishing that area now than ever before because that data was produced i I don't want to say it's just from our alligator i'm sure there are other reasons as well but it's cool to see more people being outdoors and and fishing and and trapping and hunting more in that area because things have been better regulated in terms of agricultural runoff and pollution and that kind of thing. Thomas asks, do you see a population difference between populations of say Nerodia and proper national forest Everglades and the farmland slash Indian reservations? Uh, Yes and no. So I would say the preserves that are uh, non-hunting areas, the population is exactly the same. Uh, The populations in wildlife management areas and stormwater treatment areas, in my personal observation, the the Nerodia, the the snakes overall, uh, which you would find uh, crayfish snakes, uh, salt marsh, uh, mud snakes, Nerodia, garter snakes, cottonmouths, rough greens, all these Everglades watery snakes has been down in the wildlife management areas. And it's not because of over collecting or pollution. It's simply because of more human traffic. Um, South Florida is constantly expanding. The population grows and grows and grows. I think right now my county has, I think 3.2 million people in just my county. And, uh, and they want to go out and they want to see the stars. They want to go out and watch a sunset. You know, they want to take their, their kid fishing out in quote unquote, the middle of nowhere. So, 
more road traffic, more human encroachment, even on a, a, a minute level, will affect it to some degree or another. And then there's the meth heads. And then there's the meth heads. Good old Florida meth head. I've seen some crazy natural shit. Natural habitat. I've seen some crazy shit in them glades, boy. Like some Joe Exotic shit. Yeah. <laughs> Make Joe Exotic look like an appetizer. <laughs> I need to watch that series again, man. It's just... I feel like there's so much I missed just because I was in shock of what they... Like, the prior events of the episode before that. Man. I'll tell you what. And, like, uh, as much as I... As much as the Florida Fish and Wildlife Conservation Commission is a thorn in my side to some degree, it's an amazing organization because the majority of the individuals, the, the biologists, the field officers, you know, the law enforcement aspect and the biology aspect, they do a great job of actually giving a shit about wildlife. And whether they're forced to or not, uh, it's cool because every time I go hunting, like actual hunting, the check station people, they're biologists. They're people that love animals as much as we do. So the the fact that I'm going out and collecting game or harvesting game, they're getting all the data from it, which is going to make the laws better, which is going to make the harvest better, which is going to make the populations better. So uh, it's always good to see that, you know? And most of the biologists, they're pretty young. They're young kids in college. You know, they're volunteering or minimum wage type thing just so they can get their feet wet. And it's cool to see the enthusiasm. It's cool to see people loving, loving the wilderness because we don't have much left in that regard. Yeah. I mean, you think about a lot of the studies and stuff they're doing, it's almost, it's pretty much out of necessity because it's just constantly evolving and changing with, you know, what's present and what's coming and going and yeah, in terms of populations. Yeah. They don't really have much of a choice, but to stay on top of it. Yeah. I actually saw someone posted recently, I guess either yesterday or the day before, Somebody found while they were snorkeling, they found a manatee with the name Trump. Oh Car- yeah, I saw that earlier on Facebook. Yeah, that's been all over social media all day today. So so here's my thing, if I may. I don't know what happened. I don't know how they did it, but from what I gathered or what it was presented to me was they didn't hurt the animal. They basically rubbed away the algae. That's what I was thinking was like that, that's that's surely what, there's the, sediment or something. Yeah, it basically that. it had a, a, a slime coat, much like a fish, of algae and whatever, and silt, and they scraped away the algae. And what you're seeing is the gray skin of the manatee. And all I could think of was, they really didn't hurt them per se. But at the same time, why not do the whole body? Like help that animal out. If you're going to go through that, if you're going to sit there and meticulously rub algae off, you know, do the whole critter, but you can't you know, because how many, how many white claws you had to have to. Yeah, that's true. In there <laughs> that is to true. That. Problem is, is you have to actually give a fuck about the animal to do that kind of stuff. That is know? true, and then at the same time, that person didn't give a fuck about that animal. You're right, and at the same time, it's also you would still get in trouble for doing that. You know, uh, manatees love hose water. For those of you who don't know, uh, it's cool, it's crisp, it's not you know diluted in any way, and. Uh, there's sometimes they're encountered in, in a lot of brackish water. So a lot of people will leave the hose running off their dock to entice manatees to come and drink the hose water. That that's illegal. 
Yeah, you're not supposed to mess with them like at all, right? You're not, you're not supposed to go, I think, with like six not, feet of them. Or yeah, you're not supposed to like touch them. You're not supposed to. Yeah. Just so have anything I saw, looking at them. Yeah. I saw a video. Uh, it was like some probably like teenagers. Uh, they're swimming off the back end of a boat, and uh, a manatee just kind of like whoop, popped up next to them, and they were spazzing, like terrified. They thought that they were gonna <laughs> die, dude. Like it yeah, was, it yeah. was the most. In, like the look on their face was there was a shark next to them. It, they were they were fearing for their lives. It was probably one of the most funny videos I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, at first, at first glance, I'd probably, I'd probably do a double take too. If I saw something big and gray swimming next to me, I'd probably have a second of like, oh fuck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think anybody would, but like, it was like twenty foot to the boat, and the whole swim was was panic attack, straight up yeah. panic attack. <laughs> I'm gonna die. Mm-hmm. It was hilarious. Meanwhile, you, you see, and it's like this like sixteen year old girl that's like, oh fuck, oh fuck, oh fuck, and, and the whole time she's holding the GoPro on her face to show her expression. Like, <laughs> yeah. That's, that's the problem with the youth of America is that if you're going to panic, fear. De- if, if you're going <laughs> to panic, make sure it's being recorded. <laughs> oh man. But yeah, Florida's wild, man. I love it. I'll never leave. I love it. It's always been a place I wanted to visit to, to <laughs> do like, like a herping trip or something like that or, or go to one of the big expos like the Daytona Expo. Yeah. Although Daytona's I hear that's awesome, man. Daytona's the last. Daytona's the best. I love Daytona. Yeah. Oh, the town's a total crap hole, but yeah, the, the Expo's awesome. <laughs> Myrtle, Myrtle Beach's ugly twin. Yes, yes. <laughs> but again, you're not, you know, we stay at the resort and you're going there to hang out with snake people. You're not going there to go to clubs necessarily you know what i mean and the hotel yeah. is nice like hotels it's it's you know you don't have to go very far everything's literally within walking distance yeah yeah Convenient. what did what did billy say billy said manatees are a lot bigger than you think and they sneak up on you like ninjas <laughs> they are they definitely sneak up on you what i'm trying to figure out is what the hell were the pirates back in the 16 and 1700s what were they drinking and or smoking that they thought that those were mermaids i don't know that's what i'm trying to figure out they've been out to sea for a real long time real long time real long time so i've had uh it gets lonely on the boats so my uh, it does it does get lonely on the boats my employer, uh, one of his best friends, is a, an, an elderly gentleman who is a straight-up old-school Florida cracker, and his family <laughs> his family comes from Big Sugar, and uh, he, he was uh, he was around for the uh, the South Bay floods. I think in he was he was like four or five at the time when you know seventy thousand people died from a hurricane flood, um, and he, he's seen the development of the Everglades and the development of big sugar and his family owned a lot of sugar and stuff. But he told me that back in the day they used to eat manatee because it is absolutely breathtakingly delicious. And he said, it doesn't that's what look they, like it would be. No, but they said, that's it looks like they, a lot of fat. Yeah, so yeah. Everyone, everyone says that they call them sea cows because they're big and stocky and they eat seagrass. Best but they prime really rib of the ocean. They really it's prime <laughs> of the ocean. That's why they call them sea cows. 
it's the so. it's the uh, what do you call it the the veal the veal yeah. real soft <laughs> lots of fat veal mm. del mar yeah <laughs> marbled manatee that's kind of I don't know I'd feel bad man they're just they're too they're oh, too stupid looking bad. and cute man and that goes back to the whole cute and cuddly nonsense. Like, you know, you want to protect it because it's cute and cuddly. Meanwhile, it's a problem, and it goes untouched. <laughs> Billy Hunt says, Ocean Wagyu. Jesus. Ocean Wagyu. <laughs> oh, man. Sick lot. Billy Hunt, ladies and gentlemen. Mm. Ocean Wagyu. Do so you have any plans? Marble to perfection. Do you have any plans of getting into other stuff, like... As far as breeding outside of Amazons? Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I'd like to do some of the boas that I've been raising up, uh, you know, the Hog Islands, uh, the Costa Ricans. Um, but um, I, I'd like to give it another go. Um, so the same year that my pair of Costa Rican Russian Burger I died, um, the exact same thing happened to my northern emerald female. Mm. Um, and again, I just had a single pair of that. And she even um, popped out a, a still, like a fully birth stillborn. And uh, and then nothing else after that. And I waited like a couple days, took her to a vet, got an ultrasound. Uh, you know, she had some stuff in her. Um, and they gave her some hormones and antibiotics and stuff like that. And nothing ever came out of her. And, and she eventually uh, died. Um, and so I got rid of my mail, but yeah, I'd like to get some, some of the other Corrales again. Um, not a whole lot, but you know, a pair, maybe two pairs, something like that. The Northerns, the annulated, um, just like Austin, I was thinking about basins maybe, um, especially with, um, like the prices of Northerns right now, like they're, they're pretty up there. I might as well just, uh, go there for, you know, go all out for a basin. You used to have, so chondros? when you, yeah, I used to have quite a few chondros. Um, but no, I, I do not have any chondros. Not anymore. Why not? They're awesome. I, I really enjoy them as well. Uh, I just don't really know um, like the direction that I'd want to go in with that. Uh, probably probably some locality stuff. Mm -hmm. um, when I first got into it, I kind of got heavy into the designer thing. Um, and I put quite a bit of money into it. I produced a clutch. Um, I tried to I tried to ha like send some of my females out on breeding loan, and that went horrible. Um, and I, you know, I kind of sold the rest of what I had and stuck with the Amazons. Um, Dayton, how do you uh, cycle? Do you mind breaking that down a little bit with your with the with the Hortolanus? Yeah, I don't really cycle them. Okay. Uh, um, I I have uh, you know sort of like. I have a natural daily cycle um, and it sort of naturally gets a little colder because of our seasons. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I go about like I heat my room mid eighties 
Um, and then I drop it down about 10 degrees at night, every night, all year long to mid 70s. Yeah, I, I would draw, I, I, my room fluctuates quite a bit. It's similar to that. Um, and my stuff that needs to get colder, I move out of the room in the wintertime. Uh, mm-hmm. So no food cycling or anything like that? You don't? Uh, I, I do. Well, I sort of accidentally food cycle. It's okay. Um, I, I don't know if I would say that I food cycle per se, but um, when I when I am preparing to pair animals up in advance, uh, you know, I I do make sure that the female has some extra food in her. Okay. Um, so it it does kind of work its way out, maybe as a food cycle, but um, no, I, I don't. Um, and so like what time of year are you doing your introductions and stuff like that? Also mostly year round. Okay. Um, just whenever I have an animal that I think is, you know, of adult age and size, um, I might throw a a male in with a female and, and see how it goes. If not, you know, if nothing happens, no interest is shown, um, you know, I'll take it out and, and wait. Um, I do, I do sort of have like down seasons naturally, which sort of like right now, basically for the past few months, uh, even though I'm kind of throwing a male here in with a female, I'm not really getting any interest. Um, but yeah, yeah. Sort of like spring is a spring is a time that's always on kind of spring, early summer. Um, okay. and, and then like, uh, later summer and fall. Okay. Yeah. I'm just kind of curious. I'm trying to see like what, what, because I'm, I'm a spring breeder guy. I do a lot of spring breeding with the like bread or Bradley and, and, uh, I'm trying some inlands and Brisbane's and stuff, but, uh, so it's a completely different scope of what I'm used to. So I'm just kind of trying to get a you, idea you of could. how you do it. You could just do it in the springtime if, if you, you know, like you don't have to try to pair up at any one point in time. Um, weather does seem to play a factor, like when I'm getting some storms and it's rainy out, um, like that does stimulate my animal. So um, okay. if you have a season that is like that, that might be yeah. a good time to throw some animals together. Fall, spring, we get a lot of rainfall in spring. Yeah, yeah uh, winter's pretty dry, in, and so summertime. A lot of the guys in Florida, yeah. if it starts thunderstorming, that's when they're throwing stuff together because that's that's like the the magic magic window. Yeah, if you got rainy weather, it would be a good time. Um, and if that's multiple seasons, I I wouldn't like I, I've had pairs, I've had success. It, it doesn't really matter what time of year as long as okay. the conditions are right and the animals like uh, you know pair pair up. Um, it, it works. Right on. So with, I know like if you pair garden phases with colored animals, you know, you'll kind of get a mix. Um, if you pair colored animals with colored animals, you'll kind of get a mix. Like, do you notice when you're pairing like the leopards and the tigers, do you still get that sort of spectrum of like garden phases with colored stuff and then the visuals? That's, or? that's a lot uh, more worked out. So with the tigers, it's, it's a dominant gene. Um, you know, roughly half the animals of the litter, no matter what you're going to get, you're going to get, you're going to get a tiger, um, you know, 50, half tigers. And that's one of the more, um, it's, 
you can have a tiger of any any phase, any color, mm-hmm. right? Right. So there doesn't seem to be a limit on that. So you'll get a good mix. Um, and with the leopard, um, it's recessive. Uh, you know, there's there's some debate on whether it's incomplete dominant and like you know the heads are visual. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that's the case. Um, I, I think it's recessive. Um, but then again, just by knowing that it's recessive, you, you can then kind of predict the outcome um, by what pairing you do, you know? So, yeah, because I just, I know everyone's, like, as far as, <clears throat> as, like, polymorphic, you know, a lot of people think Cresteds are polymorphic. I don't really think they are, because if you, uh, like when I was breeding them, I would notice like, yeah, you only get two eggs per clutch, but it's every so often. I would notice that if they had laid all those eggs at once, you would definitely see ones that follow like a traditional genetic, you know, genetic ratios. Mm-hmm. Um, but with those, it does sort of seem like, you know, there is truly like the the polymorphism is is much more legitimate, but. I just wasn't sure as far as the morphs and stuff, if you still got that sort of spread of like gardens and colors and, you know, visuals and, and it sort of depends. So you'll, you'll get the spread with the tiger because it, it, it'll go colored. You mm-hmm. know, you can have colored phases. It mixes with the other morphs. Um, you can get garden phases, you get it all um, because it is, it is, you know, truly dominant gene. Um, but some of the other ones, it's sort of linked uh to a, a certain thing like the leopard, um, you know, there, there aren't any colored leopards. They're all some oh, that's garden. True. I've never seen any. It, yeah. There is a bit of variation between them. Um, but there, there hasn't been a colored leopard. Um, there've been some weird ones out there, maybe like a chimera paradox thing. Those, um, I remember who's the one guy that had the, I don't think he, I don't know if he does anything with them anymore, but he had some that some paradoxes that were just unreal. Looked like digital camo. Yeah, uh, I, I mean, probably Danny Mendez um, in the early days. Uh, I'm trying to think of who. I'm trying to see if I can had. find the find a picture. This has been a couple years, but the guy had just the most unbelievable paradoxes I've ever seen. Yeah, so there's there's some evidence that that might be genetic in Amazon Trebos, but I also I also think that uh, there are those Chimera versions as well, like the one-offs. Uh, like I don't all, I think the one-offs that happen randomly in random litters are sort of uh, Chimeras, and uh, there are there are some lines. Uh, of the the paradox animals that have like half the litter being paradox animals and that seems um and that's not just a one-off thing and that seems a bit much for those to to, to all be chimeras yeah i got them right here it's paradox predators oh okay i don't know his name but i I know who you're talking about yeah let me see i got them pulled up right here these things are a group of those from bushmaster yeah yep Whoa. Yeah. I mean, that's sick. Like, sometimes you think of paradoxes and you're like, okay, there's like two blotches of, of one color, you know, but this is li- like just crazy. 
Seems like the weird stuff yeah. with Amazons is always very extreme. He had, like I said, he had one that was like digital camo. Like I said, this is it. I think there was another picture of it that showed it a little better, but that's an incredible animal. That's nuts, right? Incredible. Yeah. That looks like it looks like a Kofi owl and a tannin bar, you know? Dude. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Like I, said, I don't ones, know. I don't know if he's still around. Those ones cause... come from like one litter, and it, it was quite a few animals in the litter. Um, they were imported by Bushmaster, and he got them. And so, like that, that to me sort of points that there is something genetic going on there, mm-hmm. um, and not just the um, the fusing of two animals. It's just ridiculous. Oh, there's a litter man. picture. Yeah. Awesome. It's from 2016, but. I don't know. I just remember when he was posting these pictures, like everyone was like losing their minds over him. Rightfully so. Yeah, that's wicked. I just don't know what happened to him. Yeah. So that's just that's uh, one of the, it's one of the things with Amazon's that I've always been that's always been really interesting to me is just the sort of the not knowing what you're gonna get kind of factor. Yeah. You know, not in that's the sense Drew- of like Go ahead. I was just saying that's what drew me to it is like the just the what are you gonna get kind of mm-hmm. factor to them, you know? Yeah, I, I was definitely into that. Um, more so along the lines of like wanting to figure out how that how that works, you know, and mm-hmm. and how those different genes work, or you know, working with a new gene or something like that that people don't have um, because I. I think for the most part that they probably are inherited in a similar fashion to any other species. It's just how variable they are can mask those things. And I'm sure it masks a lot of uh, genes, uh, you know, mutations. It, right. it makes it harder to pick out what's what. Matt wants to know, what is that picture over your left shoulder? This one? I think so, yeah. That is a, a picture one of my wife's friends uh, painted, and it's uh, Commander Buddha. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. That's cool. Are you, what's, as far as the, the leucistics go, those haven't been around terribly long, right? Uh, I mean, like. <laughs> For Amazon mutations, no. Right, right. For Amazon, in really, terms of Amazons, like, they've been around, you know, almost a decade, maybe. Um, yeah, I, that's the project I'm working at. Um, but uh, like, I, I'm not the founder of the project or anything, and I sort of, you know, got into it, and I've really taken the long way. Um, you know, I got in with a single animal, produce offspring. Um, and then paired those up, you know, to my original animal um, to produce my first leucistic. Um, that animal wasn't particularly healthy. Um, so uh, I'm still at it, uh, you know, trying to make more of them. Uh, yeah. <clears throat> those, I mean, a lot of people, 
I, I've heard, you know, say like, oh, I, I like Amazons because of the colors, you know, the color variety and, and like the white snake really doesn't do it for me because it doesn't have any color. But uh, like it's it's pretty impressive, especially when you see one in person, like a white, basically translucent snake. It, it's really it's really impressive. Yeah, I imagine, just like combining like that a... with with other stuff down the line, too, you know. Yeah, again, I mentioned earlier, uh, they seem to have quite a bit of variety, on, on, even with like the leucistic on like the amount of pattern that they they can have and and, uh, and stuff like that. So that that leads me to believe that you could you could work this into some of the other gene mutations and mm -hmm. it, it would be visible. You'd, you'd be able to see it, not just under like a black light or something. What were you saying, Phil? Oh, no, I was going to say is when it comes to mind, it's like a leucistant transpacos, but just stretched out. <laughs> you know, like that's what I'm envisioning in my mind. Like silly putty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, oh, no. it's cool because you can like, well, at least as a neonate, um, you know, you can like see through the skin. So it's kind of like pinkish and purple, you know? You can see all like the the tissue and blood vessels and stuff. Very it would cool. be even even more interesting to see what that does with that leopard leopard gene because I mean you're thinking about that's already kind of a monochromatic sort of fits color scheme wise. It'd be interesting to see what that does does with it. Yeah, I, I definitely would like to do that. That's yeah, got some raised up animals, so that's in the works. We'll see if that comes to fruition. I miss them every now and then, man. I I see pictures of some Amazons and I'm just, but they're just like Antaresia. I'm just at that point where I'm like, I'm, I've had my fill. So yeah. You, do you notice like, uh, you said they like fire up and fire down. What I've seen specifically with my male tiger, um, he's orange. He's an orange tiger, orange phase tiger, and. Uh, during the day, he's like a really rich pumpkin orange, and then at nighttime, he goes like I don't even know, uh, like a pastel orange. It kind of lightens up, kind of quite a bit actually, like a pastel orange kind of color. Mm -hmm. You notice that as well? Uh, sorry, I got a little distracted by my toddler. <laughs> what was the well, like the last part? I uh, just the with them firing up and firing down. Do you notice them getting lighter in the evening versus like during the day? They're kind of a darker, uh, more rich version of them, the color that they naturally are. Um, I would say that's more so what I notice with the leopards, not okay. necessarily what I've noticed with some of the other color phases. Um, I I have noticed big color changes in like gravid females, and that almost always happens. Uh, yeah. Once the females gravid, they become super dark. Um, sometimes they stay that way. Sometimes they they get their color back. But um, I, I wouldn't say I, I've noticed that um, with any of the other color phases, really, per se. Okay. Um, but, One yeah, they can go through really drastic color changes as they mature. One thing I was going to ask is, because I've never produced – any kind of I've never really produced many boas uh, and the stuff that I have experience with was other mostly other people's stuff or places I worked at 
Have you noticed a behavioral difference postpartum with the female in terms of her knowing that the babies are gone and like you have to like sanitize the cage to get rid of smells and stuff? Or is it just kind of like she just keeps doing her thing? I would say there's less less maternal um, you know, instincts that you have to worry about because at that point she's done taking care of them, you know, whereas like with a right. python, now now their work begins and they have to incubate the eggs and everything like that. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and so when they're doing that, they're not going to be, you know, hunting or anything else really. Um, so I, I don't think that that's the case with the boas really. They're just gooey. Um, well, no, because yeah. like, I mean, I've had scenarios where, you know, we had boas, uh, hog islands and some BCI stuff where, we left, like, we cleaned the cage, but we really didn't clean the cage. You know what I mean? Yeah. And they they would not feed. They would not drink. They would hide in the corner. And then we completely sanitized the enclosure or even moved them to a completely different enclosure. And it's status quo, back to normal. And I didn't know if that had something to do with the fact that they still smell baby juice or what. That sounds like it would be the case. Um, but I can tell you that I don't, like... You know, I wipe down the cage and everything, but I don't like yeah. super sanitize it. Yeah. Um, and I, I haven't really had any issues. Um, usually, my my females are pretty depleted and uh, and ready to get right back on the horse. Yeah, ready to resupply. Yeah, yeah. Especially, I mean, like, I don't really try to feed my animals all the way through. Um, I, I've done it before, and I have had females that will continue to eat. Um, up until like giving birth, that's more rare than, than common. But, uh, once, once I get like a female who's gravid that refuses, uh, um, you know, a meal, I usually just cut it off at that and and don't really bother them too much. And, And that's usually, that's usually about like halfway through the process. Okay, cool. Are you reducing the size of the prey items when you're offering, uh, or are you just doing the same like status quo prey size? Um, I, I would, I haven't, um, I would think that that would be a thing. Like I have reduced prey size if I continue to feed the animal all the way through, but I've basically cut that out of my routine now. So I, I don't really worry about okay. it too much. So I remember, also, I think it was Bill Hughes. Oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, like, their their bodies are like, I wouldn't think that feeding it a, a large meal would really hurt the animal, um, you know, or the, the, the offspring or anything like that, because their bodies are, are sort of meant to protect them. But it, it might, like, divert energy, you know, like they would then have to put energy into – Digesting, digesting versus gestation. Yeah. 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 I just, I, I was, I remember, I think it was Bill Hughes or someone else. They were talking about with breeding emeralds in particular issues with like just the amount of, I guess like goo or afterbirth or whatever you want to call it. Like babies, he would put um, like a grate or something sort of mid level so that when babies came out, they would hit that, and that that 
gravity would just make sure the rest of that goo sort of came off of them. Do you do anything like that with the Amazons? Do you, or is, you just no. don't see that to be much of a problem? Um, I do think it is a good idea in his situation because I think he did that um, because he travels a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I actually catch a lot of my litters being born. Um, I don't know. I, I'm not like crazy. So like, I can't, I can't be like, the only one that goes into my snake room at night, but I do frequently, I, I do frequently <laughs> catch it happening. And I'm like really good at knowing I can like, I can see the animals behavior and be like, yeah, it's going to happen tonight, you know, or like get it really close, like in the next day or two or whatever, you know? So I do enjoy catching it and seeing it happen and watching it happen. Um, but if you're not there, sometimes the animals can have, and I actually had this happen this year as well. Uh, some of the offspring will have a hard time breaking out of their sacs, their amniotic sacs. Um, and so if you're not going to be there at all, um, that grate would break. If that breaks open the sack, that'll help the animal, mm-hmm. um, you know, get out and not suffocate in there. Because oftentimes, even like what appears to be a fully developed, healthy animal just won't break out of the sack and it'll just suffocate in, in, in the amniotic sac. Um, and I, 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 again, I had that happen, um, with a couple animals in one of my litters this year. Um, so I do like that idea, but on the other side, um, that grate gives something that like those animals could get stuck in Mm -hmm. or tangled up in or under. Um, so, you know, that could pose an issue. Uh, He didn't have that issue, but, um, yeah, it was, I would be, I would be concerned about it. Either the grater, he did. He added like a layer of fake plants, just something that when they hit that, it would like break that that sack. I would. And they would. I would think the like the fake plant thing might be a good idea because mm-hmm. then like they're not really gonna get stuck in that in any way, um, and, and they would still break up the sack. Have you ever witnessed um, like a female uh, eating a like a slug or? Uh, stillborn or anything that w- with Hordalonis at all? You took my question, Austin. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Great minds think alike, um, man. Great minds think alike. Yeah, that's not uncommon. Uh, I've seen him do it with um, slugs. I haven't seen him do it with stillborns. It's so bizarre. Yeah. Seen rainbow but it makes it. sense. It makes yeah. sense that they, the reason they do it, it is bizarre, though. Waste not, want not. I think especially... The rule I live uh, by. Especially if they go off food, you know, uh, they're just ready to get whatever nutrients they can get back in them just right away. It's the same way that the jackal runs off with the wildebeest placenta. It's because he's it's good shit. <laughs> Delicacy. The reason right? that the uh, alpha wolf gets the liver of the kill. There you go. There you go. I, yeah, I, I couldn't. It's, I couldn't, it's couldn't get cool used to, to live, live bearing stuff. Dude, live bearing stuff is the best. I, I couldn't get used to live bearing stuff. I'm just so used to eggs and waiting. Love I'm really bear. excited about the change up, man. This next season, I'm going to be pairing my dumerols. None of my hordalons will be of age at all. Uh, but the next se- this next season, I'll be pairing my dumerols, and I'm excited for the change up. Just trying something different. I've never messed mm-hmm. with any live bearer stuff, you know. So. The incubating eggs look like a, a big turnoff for me. Like I, I didn't want to deal with that. You just go maternal, like I do. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, uh, I've incubated I mean, too, but I like the maternal a lot. Uh, I know, I know Nick, um, he's got like a walk-in room incubator now, but like, I know he does, a, he gets a lot of data for maternal incubation on stuff like that. So, um, yeah. I just kind of thought that like, that was just not, that wasn't a good way to go, but I mean, that makes sense that it would be, you know. I only lost one when I did it the last time, and it was, I don't know that it was meant to live in the first place, to be honest with you. I didn't have any kind of crazy issues or anything like that. Was yeah, this, still was more a, this was a while ago. I wasn't like, but yeah, my, 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 my viewpoint has changed on, on maternal incubation, I'm sure, as long as, although I'm sure you do have females that like reject Reject. Um, I I haven't yeah. yet, but uh, if I did, I would definitely incubate those eggs. Yeah, I wouldn't just leave yeah. them in there for sure. Yeah, I'm definitely got an incubator ready to go in case the mom doesn't do her job. Right. Uh, Dayton, have you ever left babies in with mom or no? No. No. Okay. Nothing more than like overnight when I didn't catch it happening. Okay, that's something I've been um, curious about with certain species because like. It's a, a recent finding that cottonmouths will be motherly for at least a couple weeks um, until you know babies are like good to go and like get off on their own. Um, it's not the same as a mammal per se in terms of the motherliness, but you know if there's a, a, a den or, a, or a, a, a crevice in a creek bed or in a, a canal wall or something, they'll bury up in there with their babies and then wait until the babies start to go off on their own. And then mom just leaves. And I've always been wondering if something like Amazon's or, or, or I mean, anything that's really live bearing, if you left one or two babies in there to observe what would happen, if maybe the babies would do better, or mom would do better or whatever. Uh, yeah. I mean, like that would be an interesting experiment. I, I haven't really thought about doing it. Um, I, I don't have a lot of issues with the babies or with mom. So like it would just be out of curiosity why I would do that. Um, but yeah, I mean like that's the first time the idea has really occurred to me. I, I, I mean like maybe I can see an advantage in the wild with like a cotton mouth because the mom can sort of like protect them a little bit, sure. I guess. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or provide a, a bigger layer of protection, but also like I guess it's probably easier to keep them in like a den if they're if they're like in a in a tunnel or uh, yeah. you know hibernating or, or you know it's like in the middle of winter or something like that when they uh, sure. give birth. But with like a tree boa, I'm imagining in the wild because it happens in my cages. Um, you know the the babies fall, um, and then True. as soon as True. as soon as they fall, they usually shoot right up and they're and out and all over the place. That's good point. Um, good point. And so, like you know, maybe in the wild they would get dispersed pretty, pretty far apart. You know, if they're dropping and, out of trees, and quickly. And, yeah, and quickly yeah. too. Um, but they, they definitely are. The babies don't just like chill; they're cruising for the whole time that they're in the cage with mom. Um, okay. Yeah. Scatter. Yeah. Do you do you um. Like when you offer food to your neonates, uh, how soon after uh, the female uh, gives birth to the litter are you doing that? I usually I will try within a few days if everything looks good. Um, okay. I don't even wait. I don't wait for them to have a shed. Um, 
sometimes you'll get an animal that like doesn't have a fully absorbed yolk or it, or you can tell that it like it's just absorbed it and it's got a little bit of a belly you know mm-hmm. and uh so i i won't like try to feed that animal right away i'll let that settle down um yeah. and if they go into a shed cycle before i attempt to feed them I, I just leave them alone and let them shed out before i try to feed them but if they're if they're healthy and alert and uh you know looking good and and fully digested sometimes they leave little urates in their tubs uh, i don't have any problem giving them a, a shot uh within a few days okay and what's your, what's your go-to prey item uh, uh fuzzy for, the ba- for the babies fuzzies fuzzy mice yeah I, cool. I go with the bigger prey item and uh i find that the hair on the animal sort of um can kind of trigger a feeding re- like a, a strike response you know it gives them a little tickle or something sure so, for how like thin over. and dainty they are mm-hmm. they can handle a lot larger meal than you think that they could it, it's kind of crazy with so them. damn thin their necks are tiny thin but man they can they can really mm-hmm. handle it like i don't push it too crazy but i've given meals where i'm like oh they may just not eat this and you go in there 30 minutes later and it's they're it's in their gut and it's a pretty sizable <laughs> meal man yeah, they're pretty stretchy. Yeah. Hmm. Very interesting. It's kind of the opposite of what you think with like emeralds and stuff. You got to be yeah. all safe and giving them these little tiny meals and all this stuff. It's it's not the same at all. I would say it's more like a carpet where you can kind of give them something a little larger than you think they can handle. Yeah. Yeah. I, I I don't think they're like a super sensitive species to work with. Um, I think they're pretty hardy. Uh, you know, they they do have above average like requirements. Um, you know, my other boas, uh, you know, I just keep give them fresh water basically, and they're yeah. good to go. But like Amazons do require some humidity, and yeah, uh, you got to mist them and all that stuff. That's that's the big difference. But I think. I don't know with the ones that I've got, it kind of changed up my routine in the room to where I kind of dig it. Cause a lot of the stuff I keep is pretty bulletproof and you don't have to be so uh, attentive, I guess. And just that little extra check, you know, that I have to make every day with the humidity and give them a little mist every other day or every second day, you know, uh, I don't know. It just makes me a little bit more engaged in my collection. I enjoy, I enjoy them quite a bit for how nippy and stuff they are. Um, they're, they're, uh, they're probably something that I look forward to opening drawers in the most in my room other than Apador. Yeah. Uh, I really enjoy the variety and they're super cool to go in, into the snake room in the middle of the night and, and, uh, you know, flick the light on and see them all active and out and take a look around. And is that what you do for humidity? Is it just like mist them regularly or do you do... Anything different? Yeah, uh, miss them regularly. Uh, you know, dump out, dump out a water bowl. You know, in the floor, um, stuff like that. Uh, I I recently, so I've used all kinds of substrate and everything like that. Um, I did give the like potty pads a go. Yep. And I, I liked the look and everything like that, and I like I liked a lot of aspects about them. But I'm pretty sure now that potty pads actually like pull moisture out of the air. And 
I don't think I don't think they release it again because it's it's sort of like it's sort of like a, a diaper where yeah, it's once, meant to once hold it, onto it. Yeah, it's meant to hold onto it, and once the moisture gets into the pad, it like turns into some kind of like gel mm-hmm. shit, you know. And so like it doesn't then evaporate from there. Um, so I've I've kind of cut those. I've kind of cut those out now. See, I use those religiously, and I never have once thought about that. Yeah. I, I mean, know a lot of Chondro guys that use them. It actually kind of explains a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I was starting to get, I was starting to have some setting <laughs> issues, especially in the winter time. Um, I mean, I heat my room, so that can kind of draw moisture out of the air, but like really nothing I was doing was, was like, fixing it and you know i was dumping water bowls on the substrate and i'm like why the fuck is this happening <laughs> you know and then I, it just like i was like oh this is why and and yeah you know, yeah it was just like i don't know i had uh it just all connected at one time and i was like these things aren't fucking letting moisture out you know so what what are you using as your substrate? I use paper towels for my juvenile stuff, and then I've got that bioactive set up with live plants, so the humidity is always pretty good in there. The but Python portal, yeah, the, pi- yeah. the Python portal. I've got sweet. like that. I, I like. It. I need to replant it. I, uh, I think I messed up putting the. Uh, I've got one, a couple mm-hmm. plants that are underneath the heat panel, and they don't do real well. So I've got to kind of rethink how, uh, what kind of plants I put in there. I guess. Um, but I really liked how that turned out and the humidity stays well or pretty nice. I use paper towels with the juveniles and I just kind of like, I'll, I'll miss one day and then the tub will be fogged up for a, two days. And then once the, once it's not fogged up again, I missed it again. That's kind of my routine. What, what do you do? Yeah. I like paper towels. Um, I'm giving uh, Cypress a go. I've done it before. Um, I love Cypress, but uh, yeah, I'm using Cypress with the adults. Um, uh, it seems to be, you know, I'm getting my my sheds back uh, dialed. Um, it seems to be working. It holds moisture well. It also adds like a, a smell to the room, sort of like mm-hmm. a, you know, earthy smell. Earthy smell, yeah. Um, I yeah. Uh, I use Cypress with all my uh, brettles and Apidor and Coastals and stuff like that. I haven't used it with the... Uh, the juvies just because they're in 16 quart tubs and it's just so easy to grab yeah. the paper towels, toss them and put new ones in there. Uh, but I imagine whenever uh, they get a little older and they're in legit cages, then I'll, uh, I'll probably swap that out. So, Yeah. I think yeah. I, wanna, I would like to add some Cypress in with that scrub. I think I just, I worry about that driftwood. <coughs> I'd have to dry that Cypress out pretty good. I just worry about that driftwood getting soggy and, and gross. And I just, I bake all my cypress, man. I get it at Lowe's and I bake it 425 degrees and then I put it in the cage, let it cool down just cause I don't want any funk, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, t- it typically dries it out quite a bit and you don't have to work cause you know, you get those soggy bags of mulch oh, and it's yeah. just like yeah. sopping wet, you know? And with those like baking doesn't even help. So what I'll do is I'll, I'll rip the bag open kind of set it in the sun and let it naturally evaporate a little bit mm-hmm. before I bake it just because what cypress gets so like hyper saturated mm-hmm. that at, there's a point where it's like 425 degrees or whatever in the oven. It doesn't matter. It's still, you put it in the cage and it's raining in the cage whenever as it's cooling down and stuff. So 
I'll be right back, guys. Sure. But yeah, man, I, I, I use really the hell like out of puppy pads. pads. I love puppy pads. I swear I feel by like Cypress. For that for that bigger setup, I just feel like Cypress would be easier because currently, like I, a I can spot clean that, and I don't have to pull out all the driftwood mm-hmm. and all the stuff. That's a big it's reason why I used it with the pop ones because it's so easy to to spot clean, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and I don't do they don't have uh, I haven't had a bad shed with them yet using the Cypress. Granted, I go in there and I'll mist it down pretty heavy once every three or four days. Uh, they don't have the humidity requirements that like Cordelonis do, but um, I like it a lot. You know, it makes a mess. I it pisses me off quite a bit as far as the mess. <clears throat> I'm kind of a neat freak, and uh, mm-hmm. I have carpet like outdoor carpet in my snake room. It's one of my biggest fails in building the snake room. I wish I would have never done it, you know, um, but I have to vacuum and it is a pain in the ass to vacuum up off of carpet. And uh, yes, I just have to bust the shop back out and grin and bear it about every two weeks. You can yeah. sweep the big chunks out, but it's uh, my, I've got uh, plans drawn up already for my next uh, snake room. It's going to be a building, but uh, with like angled floors and drainage, I can hose off the floor and all kinds of shit. I'm, I'm, it's going to be badass. You ain't fucking around anymore. No, no. I'm going to have like, like the spring, um, what do you, like the spring power outlets that drape from the, yeah. uh, the, mm-hmm. the ceiling instead of yeah. all along the walls and shit. Jason oh, yeah. Brumley is the one that told me about that when he built his. He's like, it's the best thing he ever did whenever he built a snake room. You're talking about the re- retractable ones that are on the spool? Uh, no, they, well, it's like a little pigtail. So it's got, it's like okay. kind of like, it's got a little like spring to it. So it's like, it's like a spiral that just comes down out of the ceiling. Yeah, it's a coiled and pigtail. It, yeah, like a coiled pigtail. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and he's just like, you plug in, good to go. There's nothing on the ground. You're not tripping over wires or anything. Plus, if I'm going to have the snake room where it's like you hose down the floor with the drain in the floor, don't have to worry about any kind of electrical shortages or anything like that. So, Yeah, it's good, man. It's good. Dude, speaking of, I was cleaning mice earlier this morning, right? And it's been getting pretty cold. So as I was finishing up, I put one of the heat lamps on my grow-out bins just to keep things mm-hmm. warmer. And mm-hmm. I started hearing some popping noises. So I looked over. I was like, there must have been a bug or something in there or whatever. Then it starts sparking some more, and then I see where the cord goes into that ceramic part. It just started mm-hmm. melting. Oh. And I was like, what the hell? And so I went and turned it off and unplugged it, and it was like literally about to like just melt and fall off. Jeez. Wow. That could have been a disaster, man. Yeah. And that then th- that, that rack last night, I was checking on some stuff in one of my racks, and I was like checking on my small male hog. Uh, and I was like, man, what smells like burning plastic? I was like, that's that's not good. So then I took the whole tub out, and the freaking heat tape was like turning brown, like it was burning. Yeah, Jeez. I took a picture of it. That's what would like that kind of freaks me out about like oh shit having a yeah a separate snake building from your house. Like I mean, I guess if you weren't there, it would save your house from burning down. But also, like, it's less access. You'd be less inclined to, like, go check it in the middle of the night or something like that, you know? Yeah. And and 
catch it smoking or, or catch the smell of it and be like, oh, shit, I got to do something about it, you know, and then it would yeah. just burn down. At first, I thought I was just going crazy because it was kind of faint. And so I was like, is that what I think it is? And I have to, I just, I unplugged the whole rack. Um, I need to go and check and see. I think the their probe or something just fell out or whatever. I think that's why I've been, I've started, well, I know that's why I've started to kind of switch a lot of my, especially Neo racks to back heat to where you're not getting any of that friction. Yeah. Any kind of like tub over, like right. scraping constantly. over the top of it yep. constantly. It wears that shit out. I, I, mean, I prefer back heat. This was a rack that I think my dad got. And so I got it from him because he was getting out of stuff. And I've got one, I've got some that are still underbelly heat. I'm, I'm in the process of switching some shit out for sure. Because, I mean, over time, it doesn't matter how well the rack is built, you know, eventually, just general mechanics and physics, like, eventually, that you're just basically very slowly sanding down that that mm-hmm. clear coat on that, that tape, and, you know, it's going to eventually get exposed, and so, yeah. I'm glad I was home when I caught that, because if I wasn't, who knows what would have happened, I mean, you know, we just got this freaking house, and just going to, you know, damn near burn it down, so... Now I don't know what to do. Like I need to re- either replace that section of tape or figure out some other route to go with it and just not, well, not how, eat it at all. How how high is it in the rack? That tub's the top top shelf, top tier. Yeah, I mean that could be that could be a thing onto itself. It could it just you know he rises. You know who knows? Yeah, I don't know. Have you checked? Have you pulled the tape off that shelving but kept the rack going to see if? the temperature in the tub is still adequate? No, I mean, the room ambient is, is pretty warm, so even if I didn't put anything back on heat, there's nothing in there that's so sensitive that it would do, like, it would, yeah. you know, decline. It keeps, like, the pair of hog noses in there, um, a couple of bears, some of the corns, my that pop wind that I have, you know, they're whatever, you know, they're nothing. If, if they get kept in the high 70s, you know, low 80s, they'll be fine, so... It was just, I thought I was going crazy, man. I smelled something burn. I was like, what the hell is yeah. that? And I pulled it out because I was like, this is, A, it, I mean, I, I like checked it. Like I put my hand in there and I was like, that does feel warmer than it should be. And then I pulled out the tub and I was like, Jesus Christ. And I think I needed, down, like I said, with your gut, man. Yeah, yeah. Like I said, I think the probe just fell out somewhere. And that's the other thing that's been a real bitch with a lot of the stuff I have is like getting the keeping the probe in place because there was a point with my uh i have a a, a small rack with my chondros in it like six of my my juvenile chondros and the probe fell out of the hole in the back and so same thing i opened the tub one day and i was like man that's warm in there and so then i like looked and the probe was just missing from the back like it had slipped out and so those tubs were easily triple digits and all the like all the chondros were like at the front they were like dude and so i was like that's weird like something's not right and uh, I'm glad I caught that because, I mean, I didn't have any damage to the rack or anything like that. But I was like, these things are cooking. And yeah. uh, that's it's those little, you know, those things Dom sent us, the little holders, cable holders with the screw that just keeps mm-hmm. them from moving. I need to get yeah. some of those because I was just like, stupid shit like that, man. It's like that. That's so irritating. Even that new, you know, the new cage from Black Box, the, uh, it has a probe holder up by the heat panel. And I put it in there. I was like, eh, he might pull it out. He might not. And, of course, within like 10 minutes, he had pulled it out. So I took a zip tie and zip tied around it so that it can't be pulled out of there. It kind of acted like a stop. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
but it's just like man like the probe thing that's the biggest uh, that's yeah i'm of the opinion now that's the most important thing is making sure that is secured where you want it and that it's not going to go anywhere right because i run through my racks once a week i mean i should probably do it more but about once a week i run through my racks and check all my probe placement just because i've had the same thing with uh, a couple homemade racks that i made where all the snakes are on the front end. You're like, what the hell? That's not normal. Mm-hmm. You reach back there and you're like, shit, that burns my hand. And yeah. you, it's, I mean, not melting plastic, but if I wouldn't have caught it, it would have been uh, bad, like really bad. Oh. Yeah. The uh, On my V70s uh, or CB70s, whatever the hell they are now, um, the the tape, whatever, whatever type of tape I had that I've used for other probes, it would not stay adhered to the PVC. So uh, I got staple gun. Yeah, that, that metal you... tape doesn't stick well for some reason. That metal tape once it gets hot, it. once it gets hot, that damn that adhesive yeah. like backs off yeah. and it yeah. it falls off. Yeah. So I wound up getting a, a staple gun that you would use for like contact shots, you know. Mm-hmm. And I put one staple in <laughs> in the in the wall where the probe would be. So if I if you tug on the cord, the the actual fat part of the probe prohibits it from pulling out. Yeah. So it, it can go in deeper, but it can't come out. And I was like, all right, that, that makes me feel better. And one staple. That's a good idea. I've got uh, those new heat panels that uh, – oh, what the fuck? Uh, I can't remember. I think it's like Vivarium Electronics. Yeah, the VEs. But they freaking – I don't know what. Yeah. why the hell they didn't hardwire them into the back – they like did on the week, older I got ones. A, yeah, I've got an older one, and it's I love my it. I Condros, use it. my Condros, and my boy oh, drives me nuts. And the, the, the Jance and I, every time they unplug that thing, and it's so irritating because there's no way, like, there's literally short of hot gluing it or something. There's no way you can permanently attach that. Oh, wait, I, I gluing is not a bad idea. It, it elaborate to me as to what we're talking. So, about. like, they've instead of being hardwired into the like base of the heat panel, right. they have a little plug. It's got a flat side and a round side, and it's like a two-prong plug that you plug into the back. Well, even if you use the little, like, uh, cable securing things that they give you, a snake can get up and push down on it, and it pops it right out of the back of the the heat panel, so you're not getting heat anymore. It's not a fire hazard, but say you have a gravid female that you need to have some heat on. You, and you don't check it or you forget or whatever, That's that could be detrimental. You could have some serious issues with that. You sure, know? sure. Happens all the time. Like I said, like I got three or four cages that I'm using those in, and every time... Because it's, it's, like I said, it's all arboreal stuff. It's Chondros, it's, mm-hmm. Olivia, it's the Jance and I. They're just they're constantly unplugging it. It's like, yeah, the hell? It's so frustrating. It's a po- piss-poor design. It really is. It's piss-poor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I, I see, I don't know. At the same time, like, I don't mind that because then, you know, probe falls out or whatever gets unplugged, like, it's unplugged. You know, there's no current going to it anymore, so I don't have to worry about it freaking exploding. But yeah, it is annoying. I only use it on my Brettles cages, so it doesn't really matter anyway. <laughs> right. Uh... But I don't even know if hot glue would work because those things get pretty warm. I feel like that might. I don't know. And I mean, yeah. Dan Dan Colgan, who was in the chat, he had one uh, not that long ago. Like that plug part that plugs in, that had melted. Like there was some really? sort of issue. And I mean, I think that's very rare with the VE stuff. But he's like, I'm never using these again. And it was like, there's pictures of it somewhere. But it was like it had melted <laughs> that that where you plug it in that that short mm-hmm. and that flat there that rounded yeah. flat spot. Yeah. And uh, I don't know, but. 
this frustration. Wonder if something may have gotten in there whenever it got unplugged or something, and then he plugged it back in not knowing. Maybe mm-hmm. it could short out like that. I mean, there's a million ways that something bad could happen in that situation. Yeah, and yeah. The, well, the way they, you know, the depth they have it placed as far as where it plugs in, like Austin was saying, you don't have any way of attaching like a, a cable clip or something to keep that in place because it goes down and at, like in. So it's like two usually, inches. Yeah. yeah, it's like they can wedge their head in there and just pop it out. I'll be changing those up. That was some new. I put those in some newer cages that I built, and I love that cage sack that I built. It's probably one of the best ones that I've that like. I, I I'll probably have them forever. And uh, and I put this these heat panels in there, and I I don't know. It's got me rethinking my uh, what I'm gonna I'm gonna have to switch it out at some point. It, yeah, it see, just drives me nuts. Brad's saying pro panels, and I haven't used pro panels, but. I know the like all you have to do is call the guy, but the fact that you have to call him, tell him what you're using, how much, how big it is, like what the temperatures are of the room you're keeping them in, like basically give him your resume as far as like what you need to do in order to get these panels. It's like I don't. I use I use pro products send, heat panel. Send me the damn panel. Here's the size I need. Send it. It's gonna be on a thermostat. Have you guys ever had a VE uh, unit just like freak out on you? No. So mm-hmm. I had that same that same V70 or CB70, whatever it is. Uh, I got a about v, the stat. The stat, yeah. I've got a V100, and I have it set for three degrees up, three degrees down, keeping consistent at like uh, like eighty. I think I set it for eighty-one. Well, it got to the three degrees up. And where instead of turning off, the screen had gone blank and it just Ooh. stayed there. And like it wasn't necessarily like a, 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 a heat hazard or a fire hazard, but all the snakes were like, dude, what's going on in here, man? Yeah. You know, it's the whole <laughs> thing. And it just festered there. And I don't, it was, I hadn't been in the room in like a day or two. And uh, I get up there and all the snakes are sweating, for lack of a better word. And I look and the screen is completely filled in with color. So like you know the yellow LED yeah, screen, yeah. the whole thing is just filled like every pixel is filled in with color, and I was like, That's oh my good. god! So I go to I go to pull the power cord out the back of the unit because it's plugged into a, a, a surge protector behind the rack, and I'm like I go to pull it, and the whole electronic connector comes out the back of the box, and I was like, ah. Oh, oh. So now I just grab the rack and I just move because it's not on casters because that would be smart. Yeah, I pull the whole rack out by hand and I just yoink the cord out of the out of the surge protector and it turns off. I finagle the power thing back into the back of it and then I bring it to the other side of the room where I just have a normal wall outlet and I plug it back in and the thing turns on perfectly fine. <laughs> I mean, so, they're in terms yeah. of build quality, they're definitely not top tier. Yeah, I will I, say I that. use herpestats mainly. That's most of what that's, I. That's what I have on my incubator, and those things are solid. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I've got a VE three hundreds on the geckos, and I've never had a. I mean, we find some wood. I've not yet. <laughs> not quite out hours. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've I've not yet had a problem with the three hundreds, but that one hundred. Like, that's the one where the probe keeps falling out. That's the one where the thing came out the back. That's the one where it went all crazy blank on me. So, I don't know. Maybe it's just an old unit. Maybe I just need a new one. 
Sometimes you also just get like lemons, dude. Just like cars. Sometimes you just get like a shit product and everything. All the other products on that same line are fine. You just got a garbage one. Yeah, that one was made Friday at five. (laughs) (laughs) Dayton, are the pro panel ones, are those hardwired? What do you mean? Like as far as like that that cord that is the power that connects to your outlet, does that come out or is that permanently like that's actually no that that's in that's in that's attached yeah but uh, I think they you have to no maybe they send them too Uh, at the other end is is open and I think you have to attach a a A plug plug in. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, how the old VE it. ones were. I've still got one yeah. in one of these bigger cages I have. I love it to death. Like Haven't the had white, an issue with the it. white yep. plug. Oh, okay. Yeah, yep. the actual prong that goes in the outlet. You mm-hmm. have to. I, it's been a long time since I bought one because I just basically, you know, move them around and and reuse them and everything like that. Because um, I only use them for gravid females, but uh, I, I think you do have to buy the the prong that plugs in. And attach it at the other end. On top of giving your social security number, your address, <laughs> a background check. Yeah. It's funny because like tags that, information. That works for me. Like I like I like doing phone calls and stuff like that. Instead of being like, I gotta order something online, you know, like I don't even know how to do like Grubhub or anything like that. <laughs> you know, uh, I'm just like, I'm super old school. So I just, I want to be able to combine it. the two. I want to be able to like order it the way I can order VEs, but get the build quality and the design of the pro panels. Cause those are also a lot flatter. You know, they are a lot more space, profiles, uh, slimmer, space, space savvy. Yeah. Yeah. And it doesn't seem to, cause like, I've gotten I've gotten some from you know like buddies that are it's like for a different size cage that I'm using you know mm-hmm. and uh, it doesn't seem to be, matter a whole lot like all the things he asks you to like send you the right size you know like how um you know like how how hot do you keep your ambient temperatures how big is your cage and stuff like that yeah what kind of that doesn't seem to be super important because I can use a heat panel that's not designed for this cage and, and get the desired temperature that I want, you know. Um, it I might just cover don't see it. why it matters if you're using a thermostat. You know, what difference yeah, does it make? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, I, I guess maybe if you're, if you're using too small a one, you might not be able to get, like, the ambient cage heat that you would want, you know. Right. I did my my room is pretty much the lowest Miami and I want to go so I I don't have to worry about that too much. Yeah. Like if the cage gets as low as the room it's fine, you know. Yeah. Yeah, I just use them uh for basking for gravid females so I don't really care that much either as long as I get the desired temp in that one spot, you know. So. Yeah. Well, I'm thinking it's bedtime. Yeah, yeah, I was about to say the same thing. It's bedtime, bedtime. <laughs> Which an hour? I appreciate it, gents. It was a good time. Dayton, it was nice meeting you. Yeah, man. Yeah, same to you. Thanks for having me on, guys. Absolutely. It's good talk, done. man. Good talk. We'll uh, see everybody later. The show was brought to you by Puget Sound Pythons. Woo-hoo. Check them out on Facebook and Instagram. They got 
I mean, I'm not a ball python guy, but some of the stuff they've been hatching lately is is actually pretty cool. Yeah, really. Absolutely. I don't know nothing about the Morse, good but piece. I know they look good. So, yeah, man. Episode and 60. They have, they have Doomerals and Anacondas and Liasis yeah. and all the other, all the cool, the other shit. cool stuff. Yeah. You know, I was making jokes last week about how this is episode 60 and we should do something like special. And honestly, having Austin Dayton on is awesome. This is great talks tonight. Great talks. Yeah. Randy, uh, Randy helped set it up. So Props good stuff. Randy. Thanks, Randy. Big ups. Thanks for letting me crash, guys. I appreciate it. Yeah. Always a pleasure. All right. Bye. Later. I just All hit the right. Leaf Studio thing. <laughs> yeah, that works. All right, man. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thanks. Thank Thanks you. for coming. Bye. Right, bye. Bye, Philly. Another one in the bag, baby. Good night. Later. Bye.